All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, you are joining us for the portion of the evening known as Novi After Dark. This is Lex Talk About It. Um, tonight's topic, we are talking about world building. talking about world building uh, both uh, in like tabletop and in like fiction and things like that um what the different processes look like and how you get started my guests tonight in this conversation are nathan gutowski (laughs) joe and galen joining us and i have lane here Lane, I think everybody at the table tonight is a DM somewhere. Yep. Like, I have I have DM'd a couple of things. Um, Nate is a Nate is a resident DM here on Novi. Uh, Lane is a uh, DM here, as you saw earlier in stream, uh, and we have things coming from both lane and joe in the future and uh yeah exciting 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 stuff so without further ado like let's get into it so like what was what so what was the first system that you kind of fell in love with and thought oh this is a system that i want to play in like that i want to like build things in that's that's a difficult question because if we're talking about the first system i really like actually really fell in love with it would be monster of the week Mm -hmm. i fucking love monster of the week it's a really simple system but like the character depth and like role play you can get out of it is fucking incredible it's i'm i'm a very much story not mechanics person and Monster of the Week just lends itself to that so much. The first thing I even uh, kind of suggested as to run for Novi was Monster of the Week. Yeah. Just because I love it so much. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I've I've got this campaign planned out. There's one that kind of fell through that I never, I never got to run for a home game. And I was like, well... If yeah. I put like a lot more effort into it and I can like actually like really seriously plan it out and get good role players in, I will run it for the studio and it got the green light. So we're still working behind the scenes on that. And I'm probably working behind the scenes six or seven times harder to make it as good as I can. Amazing. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm super, I'm super excited to get to be a part of it. I, I fell in love with the monster of the week system the first time we played it together um and i love that the world building aspect of monster of the week is somewhat collaborative like you as the dm kind of present it but then we play within it and you know we kind of bend and 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 mend and mold things together as a as a play group yep what about you guys what about what about joe and galen um the first one i ever dm'd for and that pretty much made me fall in love with all of it was hero quest uh in the setting of glorantha which is an amazing system that is mostly story and very less mechanics um and the joke between my group of friends that hero quest was made by mythologists 
And so like, it's, it's all a story. And so it was so much fun to have this super concrete and definitive world Mm -hmm. with abstract (laughs) on purpose by the creators um, details about it. So like they would write tons of books, uh, resource books and stuff, but also like it would be kind of vague because that's the idea is like two groups of people separated by a group of mountains, the same information transfers to them in a different way. So it's really up to the storyteller to make everything and make it real. And yeah. so you've got the myths, the stories, and some basic information about the actual setting that made it so beautiful and fun to play. Yeah, that sounds yeah. fun. I've I've never I've never heard of Heroes Quest, so that's really cool. I like it's, hearing about it's it. It's older, um, and they've gone through a couple different editions um, from the '80s all the way to now. Mm-hmm. Really fun. What about you, Joe? So I'm the baby GM is probably how I should put it. Um, I'm still, I feel like I'm still brand new to tabletop gaming specifically. Yeah. Just because um, growing up and teenager and undergrad and everything I wanted, I wanted to have the tabletop experience, love the idea of D&D. But then I had the unfortunate experience of just a lot of game masters that were like cliche and um like gatekeepy yes that yeah having modern language yes very much gatekeeping and i never really made it more than three sessions in like these various games and worlds and so i was just like man this sucks okay and then i was also in a relationship for a very long time who made fun of tabletop Uh. gamers and i was just like i will stay silent until i left him and uh um so the first system I ever GM'd was RuneQuest slash HeroQuest for a bunch of kids and this insane idea and like pulled it off. And I came out of that going, I don't know what I just did. Great. Um, <laughs> I mean, the kids had fun and so success. But as uh-huh. a game master, I was like, I don't know what I just managed to do. Um <laughs> So I feel intimidated by his favorite system. I'm like, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I adore Cypher system. Okay. Um, Talk to me about that. Tell me about that. Pokedex it. it. Um, <clears throat> it's instead of like the classic D&D thing where you have the stats and you fill it up with the numbers and then that's where your power comes from. You have a sentence and you have your noun your verb and your adjective. And those three things are what make you up and give you your powers. And everything kind of flows off of this one sentence. So much fun. So, yeah. What lit professor made this system? Uh, (laughs) Uh, It's made by Monty Cook. I don't know who that is. <laughs> that company's written so many books, like the best game ever. And like, they're, they're a big company now. And okay. It's, it's super fun. Yeah. Okay, Very cool. nice. Yeah. One thing to know about me is what's, what's funny is like, I kind of, I kind of got thrown into GMing because so like my, my introduction 
to role play was long form role play, like written role play, like um, was my introduction to it first in one-on-one and then in like group settings, which was very interesting. Um, And discord, like discord coming around kind of changed the game. Uh, Cause suddenly you could do things like you would in like a forum, but it's much more easy and you don't have to worry about the coding and like everything can be very specific, but like that's for a different episode. <laughs> but like, so like I come from like that, like that's where I came from. And then I kind of found tabletop and then I was, I only got to play like a couple of games here and there. Um, I was introduced by my friend, Sam and then, you know, it got to, I was looking for people to play with again. And it was like, well, a bunch of us were looking for people to play with. And we had all been in like group long form RPs together. And so we were like, okay, why don't we just do one? And they were like, Lex, you'd be the DM. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then it just, I kind of like, it's come from that. Um, and yeah, like I super like it. Um, I am still figuring out what my favorite system to play in is. Uh, D&D is probably the most intimidating because I'm not even looking at Pathfinder. Like, I, no, I've never even been he, a player. He talks about Pathfinder. Pathfinder all the time. And he's like, you'd have so much fun. And I'm like, mm, and that's a lot of stats and numbers and hard. So yeah, my, and- my initial like step into tabletop RPGs, a friend tried to get me into tabletop RPGs with Pathfinder. <laughs> You, that's not a beginner system. No. You do not throw no. someone into a tabletop RPG with Pathfinder. Oh, it yeah. took me six and a half hours to make my first character. Yeah. That sounds fast, though. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking of the Harn characters that... All right, no, well, I mean, I, I agree. I my, my father loves Pathfinder, so I grew up with Pathfinder. And now with D&D 5e, like, I can see exactly what they did. They want people... To be able to jump right into the and into the system, so they yeah. they narrowed it down and made it a good little nugget, and we're like, you know, at this point, I can help a kid make a character in thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah, six hours. And like, I, I am, I'm a part of a, and we, and we talked about this. I'm a part, I'm a part of a Discord that um, is a bunch of just tabletop RPGers, um, and a bunch of them like we're all like friends tangentially. And so like we've developed kind of a friend group, Um, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) But we were talking about this and I, and we were talking about, you know, the differences between like 5e and 3.5 and, um, and the kind of assumptions and that are made. Um, And basically like 5e and all of the supplemental stuff that is coming out now Mm -hmm. are, mostly efforts at being better like they're not fully in good faith because a lot of the books that just came out from wizards of the coast uh that boasted uh black indigenous people of color writers and stuff like that like it we had all these had all these writers and stuff and then these books come out and the writers come out and say you changed what i wrote like that's not what I wrote. One of the things that got me about uh, Tasha's Cauldron, one of the one of the, the, the most recent books that came out, was they said they'd be bringing like, okay, we're going to really look at a lot of the like racial issues that are like apparent, very apparent to even like outside people in the games, and we're going to like 
really give you a system to go forward to like combat it. And that system's combat to end up homebrew it. Just homebrew it. You can do it, right? Yeah. And it's well, not improved past there. <laughs> right. It, it literally was just, it literally just was like a passage that said, you know, we is blah, blah, blah. We recognize the problem, blah, blah, blah. We're in an age where you make your own world and that's the beauty of D and D like blah, like just basically like fix it yourself. And, and, yep. but that's, that was kind of the whole point of five E when you, re- when you really like step back and look at dungeons and dragons, fifth edition, it is something that is geared to it is intentionally geared towards homebrews and yeah. like it, it is something that recognizes all of the standing lore and all of the standing supplementals uh, and uh, modules are great or whatever, but they're intimidating. So let's give you a version of the game that lends itself to you and your friends making your shit up because y'all are doing that anyway. Um, and that's kind of what 5e looks like. Like that's what it looks like to me at least. Um, and that's what we were talking about on the discord is how like, how 5e differs um and how pathfinder doesn't really usually lend itself towards homebrewing mm-hmm. i'd agree yeah um, a lot of what um on that sort of note uh path, like fifth edition is it to me it very much feels like they're trying to keep the old guard intact mm-hmm. with a lot of like the books and like splash materials being all set in like older areas like forgotten realms sword coast etc etc and they don't know how to get out of that old guard mindset it feels like they don't want it it feels like they just don't want to like lose and alienate the the people who the gatekeepy people right yeah like it feels like they don't want to alienate the old guard like they they know that like the game has moved beyond them but they're also still like not trying to lose them yeah, I mean, if 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 it comes to the point where if they take out, say, or if they take out like a paragraph saying El- all elves with dark skin are evil, <laughs> if they take that out, there will be a eight million page thread on Reddit, and it'll fucking make like, national news somewhere. Like, like that's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous, and like I don't even think it's ever. Ex- if I and I actually I have the I think I have the guide right here, but like I don't think it's I I know that it's stated that the drow face a lot of prejudice, but like it I don't think it states that they themselves actually are inherently evil. It does. Bad. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah, it does. It literally says like I think in the both the player handbook and the dungeon master's guide that all, all drow are inherently like predispensed towards evil. There are a few mm. good ones and in for forgotten realms they are very rare there is like two got you talk to your dm if you want to play a good one i think they go so far as to even say like they are the exception not the rule yeah they literally say like good drow are as rare as diamonds it's something like that it's like this is awful (laughs) why would you do this that's racism and let's not even get started on fucking orcs uh, uh, yeah, but, minus two intelligence because you're tribal. Yeah, uh, mm, not touching that. <laughs> that's, lit- that's, li- that's literally what they say. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, it's part of that, like, 
the mention of orcs being so inherently evil that made it so that that was something I really wanted to challenge with Lanamora in that world. Um, but with regards to like my intro to uh, DMing and game mastering and all that, I started with 3.5 D and D. The mathiest. I'm of sorry. Maths. Yeah. Um, it was. It was. 3.5 is math. Like, I very much enjoyed it. I think I like math a lot more than I know. Um, I think you fucking do. Um, because even even in your art, even in your art, like you like you fucking did like metal sculpture, which is a lot of like knowing when it's at this temperature and what it like no, no, like you're doing math the whole fucking time. Listen, there's a whole thing that I could talk about about steel forging and the colors. <laughs> and it's not math, but it is math because you're looking at colors. Yes! Sorry. Uh, and it's like um, chemistry and physics. Okay. Yes. Um, oh, I very much yes. enjoyed my blacksmithing days. Um, 3.5 is super mathy. Like, yeah, mm. so I started with 3.5. That's actually the what I was playing when I... Um, at the inception of the world of Lanamora. And so like when I drew my first map, I was working on a campaign for 3.5. And then I stopped because all of our friends wanted to party instead of play D&D. It was like an eight person party. Um, and so we stopped playing D&D, much to my chagrin. And I uh, started looking at other systems, you know, with Emily, we went to Gen Con a few times and I picked up Hollow Earth Expedition. Um, which I was really excited to get into and play. Never ended up doing. And then <laughs> by the time, you know, fifth edition rolled around, you know, like two or three years after it came out, uh, you know, got together with Nova and Nicole and just started playing a fifth edition campaign um, from one of the source books and said, all right, well, I've got this world. Let's give this a go, huh? And that's why we have a podcast now. <laughs> so simple. So straight simple. <laughs> all so, because my friends wanted to drink that's why we're here now <laughs> <laughs> incredible so why did you start dming why why were you not just a player i wanted to play no one no gems are available so i did my own shit <laughs> that's literally it yeah that's the same for uh, me i think <laughs> i got offered money to run kids through games oh. and was told like, you'll be fine. Like, but I've never done it. You'll be fine. And I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> yeah. So the same person who did that to him? Did, did that, that to you. Yeah. That, like, oh, you, you, you do tabletop games? I mean, I have in the past, so you know what they're like. Uh, I know what Dungeons and Dragons is like. Um, mm-hmm. Like, oh no, it'll be fine. Here's this three-inch spiral-bound self-printed book. Learn the system and do it for kids. Come in on Fridays, you'll get extra hours. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Oh, uh, and and the, oh. and the thing is, is like I I love I love these games and i love the fact that there are organizations out there that are teaching these games to kids because like these games teach you important things um like they teach you very real important life skills both (laughs) math teamwork emotional honesty like here's the thing because like yeah you're playing a game and you're sitting around and you're playing these characters but like when you when it's not real anymore and i'm sure somebody else has said this i'm 
somebody else has said this and said it better but like when when you like let that drop away and it's not real anymore you can let yourself like just feel it because it and 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 the thing is is also like your brain doesn't separate the emotions that you have about stories and fiction that it, it does your brain doesn't separate those emotions from your emotions about stuff in your real life so the emotions that you're experiencing during game are real and you're letting yourself feel them more truly because it doesn't feel like the stakes are as true and so important things happen and there's an an, an important emotional education that happens at the table that you can take into your everyday life and so i think it's really important that kids get introduced to these sorts of things when one of the Um, characters in the game that i like actually i get to play in was going through like a really rough patch in game i was fucking feeling it like as she was going there and just these times are getting harder and harder i was literally i said to the group like if it keeps getting like really bad for idris i'm gonna have to take a week off of the game because this is fucking me up (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) i had an episode of uh, legends where it was it was just rough on all of the players and they all four of them were just feeling down it was during season one it was early on oh this is um, when you were still village idiots this is when we were still the village idiots yeah so it's it's like episode six or seven of the podcast season one but they were just all super depressed i did something well because that's where i wanted them to be but you could feel it oh man it was it was a somber session until we got to the point where i needed them like i needed them there so i could get them here situation mm-hmm. that was it was bad oh, there have yeah. been a few other parts that have been like that but usually only one character at a time man yeah it's hard it's it's hard when things like that happen at the table because like it's real and you got to deal with it and it's hard because it's like man i just i wanted to and and that's one of the things that like i think is really important that you have a conversation with the people that are going to be sitting at your table about what they want out of a game um both like you know for things like disease or infection like because for most people you know when you're sitting down at a table you're and you want to like sling spells and 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 clash swords you're not trying to you know okay roll for you know that cut that you got that you didn't that you didn't attend to roll to see how infected it is like whoa like if if that isn't what somebody came to do and then you bring that up at the table it's like i didn't i thought we were just doing we're we're going there and like some people want to do that and they want that experience and that's great like and but you need to have that conversation you know as a gm and uh and a player about as a group you know about what well what do we want out of this what what are our goals going into this game mm-hmm. yeah um i mean something interesting that we both dealt with at the dojo with because the tabletop for the kids is at the dojo. It's a Friday night thing. Um, for years, they also ran something that we call adventure quest, which is gateway drug to LARPing. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> adventure, isn't that a browser game? <laughs> adventure quest. Well, so yeah, the, it, it, it was. And then, so there was a problem with us when we tried to like, we were looking into branding it big and yeah, immediately. Y'all got a cease and desist. Yeah. Kind of. 
Yeah. Ah! As long as we keep it small and just at the dojo, it's fine. Yeah, if it's, it's just if it's just programs. ours, like our community running kids do summer things, like yeah. it's fine. But if we want to try to make it bigger, it's we got to change the name. But what's fun about it is the kids have to actually do things oh, to yeah. make their character stats. So they have to run laps and they have to throw things and they have to like do math and spelling problems to make the stats for their characters. And so they don't care what the long-term goal is. They want to run around and beat each other up with padded swords, but they all want to get better. And so there's like this fitness and knowledge goal that's like underscoring the entire thing. And they get you, like bonus oh, points. and oh, More than that. Well, no, so this I mean, is incentivized. Yeah. This is incentivized LARPing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, yeah. So our main stats. What a sentence. <laughs> incentivized LARPing. <laughs> <laughs> so our main stats for it. And this was, I mean, on the same subject of world building. Because yeah, we had this idea for a long arcing story that we could keep going in little three month chunks where they were time traveling police force and there was a group not of time cops yeah time cop time cop a cab and so there was a bad force of people who were stealing stories and pieces of history okay. and the kids were trying to stop them and so the way you do that is you go back into a time period and you try to figure out what went wrong so we start off the game each each 3 month chunk with here's where we are in the time period and we're just going to start freestyling it or like, or what we came up with, mm-hmm. where did it go wrong? And they're like, uh, it went wrong here. Cool. What part do you have to go back a little bit further to fix it? And so their stats for everything was uh, strength and agility, then knowledge and creativity, and then empathy. Teamwork. Okay. And like teamwork. And empathy, so empathy, put yourself in the place of me. And so the idea is as their characters grew, they had to get better. So like you want to get stronger and do more damage, do more push-ups. You want to, you know, be better at, you know, like, like all of your spells and stuff, learn math facts. And the hardest one was the empathy. Like yeah. you want to get better at like leadership and stuff like that. Like you got to help that kid over there. who's having a hard time. And so it was such a cool world <laughs> to build and then make them interact with it on such a physical real scale yeah super fun yeah 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 but there was also sometimes the kids completely dropped everything about reality and they were in it no five thousand percent in it like he literally has scars on his body from when the kids were like in it to kill someone to defend their land to take out this bridge whatever like kids no can- old barn nonsense like nobody commits like children um i you know for i'm a gig worker um and i do you know party performances is one of the gigs that i do and i had a storm stormtrooper party um and the mom bought nerf guns and there were lightsabers and we had a nerf gun battle and i turn around i am maybe 20 feet from this kid 
as I turn around, I see he he has like jumped and he is like coming down and comes down full force across another kid's face with this lightsaber. And these are not plastic collapsible lightsabers. These are like these sturdy, like combat grade lightsabers. So this poor little eight-year-old just got beamed across the face with a hard plastic. And he's trying so hard to like keep it together he's just standing there holding his face and like i have to remain in character and so like i have to like you know get that kid to like go the fuck away and i and the mom gets there before me because i can i can only move like eh, 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 eh. like yeah. you can't fucking bend your knees and th- like th- listen y'all my thighs are very intimately involved with hard plastic at this point, and it's a problem. Um, you know, every single story just makes me more glad I can't have kids. <laughs> Dude, just don't book a stormtrooper for their fucking birthday. But this kid loved it. It was it was beautiful, but whatever. Um, so, like, I'm, like, trudging over trying to get to this kid, and the mom gets there first, and he's, like, trying not to get off the off off the field. And I'm like no like if you're injured you gotta leave the field of battle it's fine like i i'm having to do the whole fucking nine yards and the mom like commented on that when she talked to my boss later she was like no they like they were incredible they like this shit happened and they they handled it in character it was great blah 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 but kids do that like kids get fully invested they're the best people to have in your in your audience for like theater they're the best people to like put on shows for they're the best people to play fucking D with but like they can't math they can't no, no they can't can't <laughs> which is why i like simpler systems that's why you play with gays yes <laughs> yes I rolled earlier for some damage and I was struggling to count to 16. Okay. <laughs> Listen. But that's why, but that is, that is, you know, that is why I love simpler systems. Uh, like the world of darkness systems. It's just D6s. And, but the world of the world of darkness worlds are very fucking rich and there's so much yeah. there story-wise to do but it does kind of lead you content-wise to do heavier material like there's not really like oh you know we're picking up and doing just a fun little stupid campaign because we we want to have a nice fun uplifting once a week game or once every other whatever blah 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 like that's hard to do in world of darkness uh (laughs) there's a reason it's world of darkness um but they do have really rich worlds vampire the masquerade uh mage the awakening uh rave the oblivion rave the oblivion werewolf the rage Rage. isn't it uh, werewolf the apocalypse as well yeah uh and changeling Uh, the dreaming changeling the lost um um, but yeah uh, promethean yeah oh fuck i always forget about promethean I've played Vampire, Wraith, and Changeling. I fucking hate Wraith. I despise Wraith. Why? Why do you despise? I've never played it. Uh, it's the main. The main reason is the fact that it's kind of an unspoken rule in tabletops that the GM plays all the NPCs, right? Because right. they have uh, they have greater narrative control over the world itself. 
Yeah. But in Wraith, the other players play your shadow. The GM does not do it. And I think that's fucked, to be honest. Because the the GM creates the world and like works around it. They know what the world is. They know what's happening in the world. They know the rules the world works by. Unless your players are so like gelled together and well connected that they know everything about your character and how they're working, it's just not going to be in character unless the GM is doing it. If I have a if I have a character with like okay, so the Wraith Oblivion one shot that I played, I basically played a cult leader in disguise who was just sacrificing people, but she came out of nowhere and like she, you would never know that just from looking at her. Mm-hmm. So her shadow was like constantly offering her like the power that she sought through these cult sacrifices. But how the fuck would the other players know that? Mm-hmm. How are they supposed to know that? And how are they supposed to interact with that and put it in a way that would make sense to my character without knowing about her? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, not a fan of that. Yeah. Although I don't imagine that that's one of their highest selling games. Barely hear anyone um, talk about it. No, yeah, I, I think Vampire is probably by far their most popular. I think Secondary is probably, probably Changeling. Um, I'd probably say Werewolf at this point. Where oh yeah, Werewolf has gotten a lot more popular. Yeah, um, and I do like them. And technically, technically, all of them are canon to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you yeah. can play them together, but it breaks the system. Terribly, I've, I've tried to because vampires are weak as shit. In the vampires world are weak as fuck. Vampires are weak <laughs> as fuck. I'm sorry. I thought it's it like, would be really fun to try to build a world where play whatever, play whatever, and there's going to be this grand story connecting all of them. Uh, I'm still working on. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> just can't figure it out. Honestly, like ba- <sighs> mages are broken except for against. A changeling like changeling and mages like you're good but like a mage against a werewolf like a mage against a werewolf or a vampire they're gonna win every time yeah um, like humans are the absolute bottom rung in right. world of darkness then slightly above that is vampires then mm-hmm. werewolves and then mage changelings and shit are on a whole fucking other level other level it's unreal <laughs> And so basically it comes down to if you're, if you want to combine them, it becomes, you have to kind of choose uh, about whether or not you're doing like, you can, you can choose to combine two, right? So you can choose to combine like changelings and mages or vampires and werewolves, but anything else there's this huge power imbalance so it becomes like the mage carry like the mage if you have a mage a changeling mm-hmm. and a vampire and a werewolf then it becomes really incumbent on you as a gm to try to like bend this game so that the power imbalance isn't super obvious and felt by the people you're playing with yeah because at, at that point you can a major changeling just goes i alter the world to my whim mm-hmm how does a vampire deal with that? <laughs> yeah. Like if you have somebody with like fucking celerity three and potence and all that, they could, you know, potentially blink behind them and snap their neck. But you like, there's not a lot that a vampire can do. 
against that. So it's, it, you have to vary. There's a lot to consider, but if you do it just straight up mages and changelings, you have a much, a much easier time because they're on much more equal footing. And that's potentially very interesting, especially if you're doing home brewing, which like, let's bring us back to world building like (laughs) how how do you usually start in your worlds and like that's a that's a great place to start like you are you usually like a conceptual build build kind of person um how do you mean starting like starting to build the world itself yeah like what, what like when you so yeah i'm playing a game where we've decided we don't want to do a module good how, ah, fuck modules right i don't so, mind i do <laughs> i can go either way with modules well I, i've got pampered with pathfinder modules mm. where they basically say by this point in the story they should be level blank if not do make it so to get there but like there's these waypoints so Taking that idea, I'm like, okay, make some waypoints throughout my stories, and then go, okay, whatever. But yeah. I don't, I usually don't mind them. Uh, um, so I'm, I just coming off of that. My world building for the world I'm currently running for the stream, uh, the world of Est, kind of starts. I think I started it off by just thinking. I think I started off by thinking about the deities. And like how each deity existed, how they came to be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the goddess of love and light S is the like how the world was named first off, and then I kind of started building it up by world events, so to speak. So if any of you lovely players, looking at you, Nathan, decide to go like hunting for world history or world events or lore behind the world, there's a lot of it, <laughs> and you will find it out. Um, and then I kind of kind tend to I, I try to anchor things in the like here and now and what's happened very recently in the world. So in the world of Est, there was very recently a and I wrote this before 2020. I have oh. to point this out. I wrote this far before 2020. Um, the ascension of the goddess Seven, who was the goddess of plagues and diseases. Uh, she was basically working on a ultra plague and just unleashed it on a country and that essentially changed world history forever and from then on that is the the entire world like history books have changed the date system has changed almost everything's changed from around that point and that's kind of where the players come in it's now been 17 years since that and it's kind of dealing with the aftermath of the effect that had on the world. Yeah. Yeah. As Aside from like, that, the small... Oh, no, go on. Oh. Um, no, I'll let you finish your statement. You are no, it's just like, aside from that, it's the smaller stuff that gets built up over time. And when I have ideas, quite frankly, if I just suddenly have an idea, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that goes in uh, in a T-shirt there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it came to creating Lanamora, it's the world, you know, I played with the most started in 2014 with it um it started as a specific adventure for the party that we had with everything in that old crew back from seven years ago um 
and I kind of built the world around it, the specific quest. When I I, I scrapped that quest, that that's no longer a part of the world of Lanamora. Um, and so when I came back to it, I kept the map because I was like, map's pretty dope. <laughs> Let's just keep on keeping on. I actually recycled some names um, from it. Um, the uh, what I started with when I started back up is obviously because I had the world map. I was like, okay, well, here we go. Um, okay, well, all of the stuff that I drew in, what is this now? What makes this interesting? Um, I, I kind of started in earnest around the time when uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters came out in fifth edition. Um, and so I got a lot of inspiration from that for specific things that I then had to immediately scrap because we start, decided to make it a podcast and I had to adhere to the SRD. Um, so I couldn't do some of the stuff I wanted to do. Um, but as far as the world building itself goes, I for the story I want to tell, I have my central theme that I want to go through. And this, I'm because we're doing, you know, a more serial production of it, I have a long form goal that I have in mind. And so I've got my, like Galen said, you know, you've got your roadmaps that you set down, like these are the points I want you to get to. And then I kind of let them fill in what they want. And as they're going, I'll fill in the important details. But I do have, you know, other things that are happening outside and all of that that I bring in when it's relevant. But ask me how often it's relevant. <laughs> yeah, one thing I I'm going to piggyback off of that. Um, one of the things that I, t I find people don't tend to realize is that they're playing in a living world. Mm -hmm. You are playing in a living world where other characters have their own motives. They are doing things in the background. And depending on what you do, what you say, like, and like tiny little things will have butterfly ripple effects around the world. Yeah. Oh. Yep. especially as as speaking as a uh gm and world builder with intense adhd like the things especially the things that would happen in a living game in the living world like yeah literally it's always like oh they made that decision back then and kind of moved on i wonder what happened like you as the gm start thinking i wonder what happened to that town that they left after they just kind of ousted that bad leader and didn't do anything else. They just kind of killed him and left what happened to that city. And like, you know, cause you get those thoughts all the time, which is why I love RPGs that like give you epilogues at the end of the game, because like I have those thoughts all the time. And I think that's one of the best things is like your players do contribute a lot to your world. So like, how much do you decide beforehand? Like, do you decide a lot of the political and ideological and like cosmology stuff before you sit down to the table? Does some of that stuff get decided as you play? Like, for for me, it depends on the on the story, because mm -hmm. um, like so, I love that you guys have worlds that you have built and like you keep playing in them, and so you're making yours grow, your world grow constantly. Beautiful to me. I haven't made that yet. I mainly take systems or other stories or systems that already have campaigns in them, and kind of make my own. 
based on what I'm feeling at that moment or that idea. And so I have like, I have a Google doc, many Google docs of just hundreds of pages of like, Oh, this idea. Okay. And so it, it just depends. Um, since I run a lot of kids, I usually go ahead and let them fuck up and build the world around them. Yeah. Like I rarely have to make pre-made encounters <laughs> they do it to because they just do it to themselves. Oh like, yeah. 100%. Okay. A grown adults do it to themselves. Yeah. I'm sorry. Have you listened to legends of Lanamora? <laughs> I mean, I was going to make the joke. I was going to say, ask me how I know. <laughs> I mean, when I'm a player, we done fucked up many times. Like, it's, oh my God. It, it's, it's no, no exception. It's just with the kids. <laughs> I don't have to put a lot of my energy into like into making a making fully fleshed it. out world or, or not, not, not a fully fleshed out world. I actually do way too much than I'm supposed to. It's, I, I don't love have that. to make the conflict. Like I don't have to make the tiniest little details of, Oh, they're going to meet this person and meet this person. I just have a list of some names basic description of them and they inevitably are like we want to kill that guy like you you do know he is not someone you want to fuck with oh oh, oh okay you, more of a you do want to fuck with him okay and then that becomes their little yeah. side scene that they end up doing because they are inquisitive and so if you let little bobbers out there to see what they bite on I mean, you get to build some stuff you- you are being incredibly kind and not saying what we're all thinking. Kids are assholes. And that's no, fine. No, no, no. no. Like, they they want to fight things. Like, they to be murder hobos. They want to be murder hobos. And I'm like, you guys hate this game. So my, murder and I think you talked about this last time when I was on, on this, I ran them through a uh, Theros game. Uh, the mm. the five E stuff, and it was supposed to be this kick ass like yes. sun god versus the you know like Hades and like oh uh, no no it was Grand Theft Chariot. They ran from the law for most of that game because they decided because one of my kids who had first game first ever game. decided to make a Minotaur warrior and kill eight guards. Incredible. One of them, he like threw through a tavern window in front of other people. And and so they were on the run for the rest of the, like, that was the game is being on the run from the law. Incredible. I was okay with my story kind of being balled up and just like thrown in the trash, Mm -hmm. but like, it's all about the fun. It's about experiencing the world. That's what they wanted to experience was being. And there's, and there's a quote that I love, which I think is so applicable to it, which is, Plans are useless. Planning is essential. Um, And I really love that quote Uh, because yeah, like I think, I think the, you don't, because so many people are like, I want a homebrew, but it's so intimidating and I don't know how to like, and it's like, yeah, it, it is. It, it can be super intimidating, especially in something like D and D, but that's where, that's where the modules I think actually kind of come in handy because you can, you can kind of take them and gut them. 
Like you can use it as kind of a framework and like read through it. Like if you're going to GM and you can, you kind of want to homebrew, but you're not comfortable coming up with an entire world or an entire subclass or whatever, you know, take a, take a mod, take a module and, and read through it and kind of be like, okay, I like this, but I think it would be cooler for the story if this happened and, and, and kind of gut it and, and shift it that way. And then, Again, be ready to throw everything you've planned out the window. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, my improv skills fucking carry my ass. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in contrast to what he was talking about with the kids' games, um, we've been playing uh, a weekly game and cipher system called Gods of the Fall um, for over a year now. And... I'm in a weird position that I'm technically a player, but then he's the GM and I'm like the background sounding board to so much. And so like we've already covered the base of what is gods of the fall. And then he went just sideways because of the noun verb and adjective I picked for my character made things crazier. And so he built like an entire separate reality on top of what is gods of the fall and then typically in those games like you're running around in like the main capital of this world and trying to figure out this big mystery of like why this one area is in total darkness and it causes chaos problems whatever just like so he just sauntered through that portion was like all right so i'm gonna make desert people here and mountain people here and like the trolls are gonna have the things i like to do well yeah but so he loves culture and mythology and everything like that and so for him i'm just making this easier because you're not going to talk about this easy um he will take the framework that you're talking about but then pick out one little pillar of the framework and be like and now there's this entire culture that goes yeah. into this one thing yes and this culture into this thing so and <laughs> then there's consequences that happen in the freaking background and the only one i can like that like instinctually like the character inside of me is just like fuck those bitches is he made like this this small pantheon of goddesses that was trying to recruit <laughs> one of the other player characters and instead of that going the way he wanted, which I knew how he wanted it to go, but it just so happened that how my character encountered them for the first time, they were kind of picking on another character in the game and instantly they became enemies of all of us. And so now we're wondering, like, they're off like conquering the city after we had slain the, the evil um, uh, tyrant and Mini boss. Yeah. And all this other stuff. And like, we're trying to take care of other things and every now and then they're like, Oh, well the blah, blah, blahs, whatever the name is for them. I forget because every time she, my character hears it, she's like, Oh, the bitches. Okay. The Heather bitches. Yeah. The the Heathers. Um, you know, they're still doing shit in the background. We're like, we'll take care of them eventually, I guess. Is it really any better to be a Veronica? The Heathers, man. Come on. I haven't watched it. (laughs) That's a separate name. Sorry. Sorry. But yeah, so it's like... He's not going into an arrow to the hot, an arrow to the hot. That is, he loves that movie. It's It's so good. I don't even know what the fuck we're talking about now. Oh, fuck (laughs) me gently with a chainsaw. The the Heathers. No, you have to pay me for that. Ah, the Heathers. So he said that Heather, Heather bitches, and I said, Is it really any better to be a Veronica? Um, 
and that means nothing to me it's yeah yeah because it's a reference to the heathers yeah it's it's a movie and now musical but anyway back to sorry game world building hi we're here he like he honestly doesn't really stop thinking about the layers that go into his various games yeah and yeah he's not joking around with the google doc stuff um and it's minimum twice a day it's like hey i had this idea like what about this in this uh and whether it's culture or interactions or characters or whatever like constantly thinking of something writes it down in the google doc notes and it gets inserted somewhere eventually well so like i got a question for you guys because yeah like we were talking about orcs Okay. Mm. How do you take something that is by a company specifically stamped like they have to be this way and you don't like it? How do you change it? I mean, I just I, say, I literally, I very simply say it is not that way. It right. is this way. And that's it. I pretty what? much, I pretty much just go, <laughs> no, because I don't want to. Um, yeah. yeah. But a lot of the time, uh, a lot of the time, what I do is you can cook that in, though, right? So what you can do in game, if you want, um, is you can you know have that be the start, especially you know if you're if you have people that are starting out with like level level one to three characters, they don't have a whole lot of world experience. They're still going on a lot of like what their parents told them and so on and so forth. I uh, honestly, a, a good uh, example of that kind of came up in the game today. Uh, Wizards of the Coast's entire thing is gnolls are, they are all evil. They are all brainless creatures that just want to go out and murder and kill and steal shit because some evil hyena god was evil a while ago and now all of them are so i was like no fuck you i am going to make them uh so like i didn't even use the basis of uh what was the coast created i kind of just chucked it all out in general um i'm not gonna let people's predispositions of what they've been fed for a very long time by a company that doesn't give a fuck. Um, so one thing that I did with Legends of Lanamora specifically with the um, the orcs in my world, I obviously chucked out the, you know, everyone is evil. Mm-hmm. Just get it out. Nobody needs that negativity. Um, but... In a short, short. Uh, in addition to doing that, I mean, because with making a monolithic evil race, the, it right, de- it dehumanizes that race, and that's right. horrible. Because, so what you have to do is, or what I at least have been trying to do is, since there was that dehumanization from the source, I need to find a way to humanize them, and right. so adding culture and you know all of that stuff. Um, you know, what makes them different, what makes them new, unique and, um, you know, just why, what, what makes them celebrated, I guess. Nice. And that's, you know, one of the things like the founder of one of the continents on my world was an orc. Yeah. And he, uh, they ended up naming the continent after him. Um, and he's afraid of birds. 
<laughs> so it's not a horrible thing. I mean, like it's, it, 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 I mean, just because they've been dehumanized mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're only going to have positive traits or positive mm-hmm. things about in specific individuals. And it's not like all orcs are afraid of birds because that's no right. different. It's, you know, yeah. innocuous, but it's still no different than saying that they're all evil. So that one specifically, he's afraid of birds, mm-hmm. but that's not a specifically positive trait. And so just for that monolithic figure yeah another thing that when you have players who are playing characters that are you know levels one to three you know ostensibly they don't have a whole lot of world experience they haven't you know been adventuring they haven't been about the continents and so on and so forth and so you can have them have that be their reality but then when they encounter these characters you challenge that and so you kind of then have them have them learning and have them as characters in game unlearning these biases where you have you know where they're met with an orc character and they and they're met with an orc character that's that's very intelligent or that's a fucking paladin or you know that is that is something that they've always been told orcs can't be and it's like no dude like we're just as varied and different as you are we just are a tribal people like right you know like you you have you have it challenged in game you actively address it in game oh, yeah, or you yeah. can no. just say no we're, we don't do it it doesn't exist that's my yeah. i mean i know the the easiest way is just being like no because that that's easy mm-hmm. no <laughs> yeah. shut up um, but like in, in, in the game that I'm running with them about this, where you're playing the gods and the new gods, one of my players loves <laughs> to min-max. And honestly, I, I go ahead and let him Ugh. because like that's part of your fun is you want to try to find the numbers to try to beat things. Mm-hmm. So I fuck with you by making you make moral decisions. Numbers, sure, you can kill anything. Now morals. So he made essentially... He, he wanted to make the God of monster slaying. So I went awesome. Every single thing in the world has a culture. Now you have to decide, are you against it? Or are you for it? <laughs> yeah. What, what is a monster? And it has fucking wrecked his world. Good. To the point where it's become this wonderful philo- philo- uh, philosophical question. Cause I mean, for me, like orcs are so much fun. Um, I think of them like like packs and and this wonderful group of tribal, but also like they have their own system. Like, you heard like it here first. You heard it here first, folks. Galen said, "Fuck them kids." Uh, well, he, he's twenty. Yeah, no, he's twenty. And he's like <laughs> new into like right into college, and he's got this like D and D five e like focused mind, like alignment systems, and I'm like, I'm gonna take your alignment system. Boom. And that's an that's another really good question. Like you know, in in, in previous editions, uh, especially three point five, like the alignment system was very much necessary. Um, now it. you hate it. As I say, I now it. in in this world, in this world of homebrews and and you know just fuck with all kind of possibility like what what do we what do we think about uh 
about alignments. I tend to question if it's, if it was ever necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at all. I, from what I've ever, all I've ever seen is alignment being used as an excuse to do something. I've never yeah. seen it guide a character. Yeah. I've always seen it used as an excuse. For feats, like it, alignment was always a requirement for very yeah. specific pieces in the book. That was it. Mm-hmm. I think it definitely flattens characters or entities or anything. I mean, it it's serves a purpose in certain frameworks, but I mean, if you yeah. look at any person and complexities of any NPC, PC, you know, race, religion, culture, whatever, there's going to be nuance there. And when you yeah. as- assign, you're one of these nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it can sometimes be useful for the player themselves when they're being genuine with it. Like, like say you have somebody who is really wanting to explore, you know, something outside of themselves. They can use that as a guide point, as a guide as a touchstone to be like, okay, this is the mindset that I need to put myself in when I'm making this decision outside of myself. Um, But then again, you get that age old problem of, well, my character would do it. And really that excuse always comes down to you can, you can justify pretty much any action as being in character when you look at what your character has been through to that point with these people and for the story like truly it's just about choosing not to be an asshole because when you have to say well my character would you're being like dude there was a better choice to make there i've used that excuse in city and snow okay but it was for hannah seeing a manticore flying away and going I'm going to jump on its face and try and grapple it. Like, (laughs) there is a difference between someone going, I'm going to shoot a guy in the face with no provocation because that's what my character would do versus my character has seven intelligence. She sees a thing flying away. She's got heavy armor on. She's like, I'm going to weigh it down with my face. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I would say, I would say that's, that's based on the maturity of the player. Mm-hmm. The player is mature enough to make decisions that can go with or without alignment. Yeah. Then yeah. sure, yeah, absolutely. But if it's it's like Lex said, like if you're gonna try to, I'm gonna try to be a dick to the other person at my table, but because my character would do that, like no, you're just trying to push the limits of what you can do in this setting as a group dynamic yeah like i had a like i i brought a character sheet to a gm one time and i was like chaotic neutral on there they're like you can't play chaotic neutral i was like why and they were like because people only play chaotic neutral because they can't play chaotic evil and i said absolutely not that's not the way that I play chaotic neutral. I play chaotic neutral the way it should be played. It's a Selena Kyle. It's a Felicia Hardy. It's, it's a Pamela Isley. Like it's a character that, you know, they're, they, they could be seen as good or bad, depending on what lens you view them through. Like a chaotic neutral person is not there for, society of any kind they're there for what they think is right and what they think is wrong and fuck you (laughs) on that on that sort of note 
uh, evil characters, mm-hmm. I I make a very hard fast rule. If you're playing an evil character, you are evil to. I I, I see it more as a uh, who am I, who am I serving sort of situation. Good, I am serving other people and myself. Neutral is my own, like my own sort of interests come first. But I will not hesitate to help other people if need be. Evil is uh, my needs come first, and the like chunks along is how you go about it. Um, so when I played, I played an evil character once who mm-hmm. actually <laughs> she became the goddess seven because I was like, no, I want, to, I want, I want this character to finish her arc. <laughs> so I put her as a deity in my own games. <laughs> but her entire thing was. Okay, and yeah, my, that's this the character power might, of world building. Yeah, character might be an evil piece of shit, but she's with. I'm with three other people around this table, who don't want their characters to be evil pieces of shit by another player. So Seven was like evil, manipulative, will blackmail NPCs right in front of their faces, lie to the other PCs and get away with it, but they will. But she never did anything antagonistic towards them. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's the key point where you can take a character and have them be, and not ruin the experience for the other people at the table. No, yeah. absolutely. Like, yeah. I've grown up my entire life. My, my dad's been playing games since they fucking first came out. Uh, and so I grew up hearing this story of his college days and he played an evil character, like the most prime evil person in this setting, but he kept it a secret. Yep. from everyone and he let the group keep moving forward because it it was like for the benefit of who he was evil for yep. himself his god all that stuff and so it ended up turning into this wonderful backs uh or, or not backstory uh, background story of like mm-hmm. all of this stuff that you're reading in the book is happening but also that character is doing some crazy shit and like, yes, evil characters can exist, but they have to coexist with the story. Right. And there's there's a difference. So there, and there's a difference between villain and antagonist. And if you are a player character and you are wanting to be evil, yeah, you're signing on to play a, a villain. You are not the villain and you are not the antagonist of the story. So don't be an antagonist to your party. And if you're in an evil camp, this is just a bit of free advice. So take it for what it's worth. Um, if you are in an evil campaign, which some people do, like they're fun, villain games are fun. Do not betray your party unless you can TPK them. Don't be an idiot. Like, <laughs> don't betray. Like, don't betray the villain, party in general. Do, yeah. In general, I'm, in general. I'm with that. Yeah, just don't. Don't. Play. In like, general, don't do it. But like, it, like if there were ever a place that you were going to do it, it would be a villain's campaign. Don't do it if you can't. Don't do it. But if you're dead set on doing it, don't do it if you can't kill everybody. My one thing I'm very, very against in terms of tabletops in general, and I see this in a lot of pre-written media, mm-hmm. especially Wizards of the Coast shit, and I absolutely hate it. I think it's awful game design. I think it's anti-player. I think it's anti-people in general. Is that official content and modules and 
newer or crueler DMs or like even game masters in general, because it happens in other systems, like to snatch away your character from you for the smallest things that you aren't might not even be aware of or not have a chance to react to. And I fucking hate that. That is the I think it's the worst cardinal sin in tabletops. You're talking about uh, like automatic alignment shifts and stuff. Yeah, like shit that. like that. There was there's something in in Ice Spire Peak. Uh, no, uh, Icewind Dale, which is a very, very recent uh, Words of the Coast adventure, mm-hmm. where there's a certain type of metal called Shardlin, where if you are holding, if you have in your inventory anything that is Shardlin in your inventory at all, every dawn, you have to make a charisma save. If you fail that save, you are now chaotic evil. You do not get a say in this. Yeah. I did that. I think that's in, fucked. I think that's awful. Yeah. In uh, Curse of Strahd, they've got something similar with um, the Amber Temple. And mm. Emily, my uh, wife, my darling wife, was the one who touched the thing. And I was like, okay, you're evil now. And she said, no, I'm not. And I mean, uh, part of what it goes down to uh, is like, uh, uh, she got so mad at me, and so I was like, "All right, look, it's only going to last until you. Uh, it, it's only going to last until you pass the save on a dawn." So I did like the reverse thing, where it was, um, "Okay, well, when, once you save, you're fine. You just like get like a level exhaustion or something." Um, but she was not cool with it, and I yeah. think it goes. It, it it's a parallel to bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Issues. And that's, it's not cool. And I didn't think about it at the time. And once it happened, I was like, oh, I can see why this is bad. I'm not going to do that again. Here's your fix. But I think that having a more nuanced approach to stuff like that, where you can start to see that effect, like you can start to see what's going on. Like, um, well, I mean, in, in again, this darn Wednesday night, we've been through a lot of trauma in this game. The players have. Um, no, it's it's been fantastic. It's like the right kind of trauma. That sounds no, but like one hundred. So like one hundred percent. Like that's one of the things that we have to talk about. Like as far as like GMing and world building and things like that that we have to be cognizant about is like yes, this is a game. But as I was saying earlier, these are real feelings, and yeah. these are you know when people sit down at your table they're trusting you and and i am of the belief that before anybody sits down at your table at minimum you need to have had some kind of consent sheet but at best you should have had a conversation beforehand of like like what are you looking to get out of this game what do you not at all want to see in this game you know so on and so forth and so that you can kind of be cognizant of that it in your world and building your world and as you're GMing, because we're here to have a good time. And sometimes we want to use it for a little bit of trauma processing. Like it's sometimes that's nice. Sometimes it's nice to have the power to change things about our life that we couldn't in real life. And so 
when we're playing these things, um, we, you know, impart that kind of trust in our GM to kind of guide us through that and take care of us in that. And, and, and for us to take care of the GM too, because it's a lot of work that gets put into building these worlds and shepherding these experiences. And it, and it can have an effect on a GM on in ways that you wouldn't expect as a player. I mean, I would extend it to even in the middle because I've had to do that so many times, including probably the story she's about to tell of like uh, uh, decisions. It's on the same subject of like the the Strahd and and the Icewind where like all of a sudden you're you're going to change completely, but not because you touch something, but because you kept making all these decisions that you didn't like you haven't been registering that that is. Affecting like, the players around Yeah, affecting you. the players around you. And I'm writing it down going, you know you're turning into this. That is not your character goal. So I, I've had to actually talk to people like, hey, if you keep going this route, like I in theory would be forced to make you blankety, blankety, blank. Yeah. Are you cool with that? Or are you wanting to change? So in, in the Wednesday night game, um, same character before that min-max to be um, the monster slayer. Uh, through various things, like, is... Oh, God, this gets complicated. Sorry. So, my character is <laughs> from a completely different realm and different magic and everything, and he accidentally gets roped into, like, being... And mind you, this character is dumb as shit. He gets roped <laughs> into being my uh, number one advisor. Mm, it's, 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 oof. Accident, whatever. We rolled with it and trying to do it, and he keeps making poor choices. And the rest of the party is like, "Okay, well, you're dumb, so we're just gonna like keep. Like, it's okay, it's okay. We're, we're gonna keep moving forward. It's fine. You know what? You kind of did like that was that was like you kind of betrayed our trust just then. But again, you're dumb, so uh Oh okay. no! And he kept doing these things that we were like. And finally, like, my character was like, I've had enough. I am supposed to protect that other character at all costs. I revoke your title. And mind you, revoking the title meant he had power stripped away from him, um, like, word stripped away from him in that system. That's a big deal. Like, all this stuff happened, and it was this cascading effect. And the player went mad, or the character went mad, which utterly like realigned him technically but like the player character himself got excited because he was like i have all new stats to play with how does this work now and like the math geek in him lit on fire and was super excited but his character has like been miserable for yeah it would be while. like if you got free le- like in dnd terms you got free levels and for a while you had been prepping and planning your character to go a certain way and in the middle of it like two of your levels just got yoinked and potentially replaced with something i have been talking with them the whole yeah. time that just sounds like consequences of actions it was, it, 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 like, it was. but like honestly as a gm i mean i've been gming kids but this was one of the hardest things that i have ever had to do because for a brief moment i didn't realize completely that i had tied someone's major powers and things that their character can do to another person's uh, to, to basically another player's will. Yeah. So then the whole time I keep checking in with my other player of like, so this is how she's feeling. Are you cool with that? Yes. No, no. I want to, I want to do the betrayal. I want to do the thing. Okay. And, but, but that is a, that is like a, 
a show of a, what a good GM you are because there are GMs that would not do that. That 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 like would be like that's on the players. Like that's right. on you as party members to interact and know how each others are feeling in and out of character. Yeah, I got and, so scared two months in advance before the major decision came down of where she yoinked this kid's uh this twenty year old's uh powers. I'm going to this guy being like. So look, if this goes the way that you are totally doing very well on, she's going to wreck you. Are you cool with this? Yes. Would you like me to make things to replace those pieces of your character that you're about to lose? Yeah, that sounds really cool. Like, or do you want to do it? Do you want me to do it? Like what? And because I was so afraid I was going to piss this kid off. (laughs) Yeah, he ended up loving it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that was intense. Like the the entirety of like because he was he was doing the shitty thing of being antagonistic towards other player characters, but there was this outside management of the situation to keep everything on. Yeah, it's one of the cool things that I like about the cipher system and some of the other things that these guys have done is you get you get experience points for character arcs. Mm-hmm. So if you know that your character is going to go a certain way, well, put it down on your sheet and get points for it. And so he had chosen multiple times, like going down the wrong path and trying to atone for it. And so like, he made this choice of like going down these ways. Yeah. And in the background was talking with me, but yeah. And we as the other player characters weren't completely sure that was going on. (laughs) Cause we aren't all completely open about all of our like major and minor arcs. Yeah. Some of them were open about others. We're just like, nope, that's, that's just a me thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of touches on, you know, as a DM or GM, like one thing that, I mean, at least for me that I strive to do is, you know, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. But there are some instances where like with this, I mean, there's something that's so game changing, literally um, <laughs> that, you know, you have to have that constant communication with your player characters. And I mean, it, it it's like when you've got your big reveal to, we've all got them, the big reveal at some point in the game. Um, but it's like you, that's the stuff that you are very carefully monitoring how much you're giving to your players. And then you get to the, the the time that the reveal comes and it's like, hold on, are they going to get it? Did I, is this all going to connect? Is this all going to make sense? And it's like that, like, had you not been in contact with that, you know, player with all of these character things, I mean, there's no guarantee that they would make the connections with all of the arcs happening. And they, it's like the rug gets pulled out from under them. And I mean, it's a similar thing with the storytelling process of dropping the hints in such a way that, you know, drawing those threads and those lines that when you finally get that big reveal, it's fulfilling and juicy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I was just going to say, and sometimes you can hit your players over the head with it and they will try to just charge through it feet first. (laughs) What are you talking about? Oh, I couldn't be talking about Nicole or Emily (laughs) or Nova. (laughs) Listen, everybody, everybody in the Legends party is like 
slam fists on table, throws table through door. Like <laughs> there are going to be parts in season two that. Oh, how to say this? I'm not frozen. I'm very still. <laughs> there are there are there some is. things. There are th- there are things that will happen in season two out now wherever you find podcasts um that are going to be hard in a good way for these characters Mm -hmm. because of the routes that they've taken so far and everything i mean that's how all stories go but i mean just with the specific decisions that this party these three characters have made most of what my world building has been up to this point has been fast and loose it's been like all right here's my world this is everything this is the uh, politico economic structure this is the socioeconomic structure have fun this is what's happening um and they've been making specific decisions along the way i know where i'm trying to get them to they get there but because of the decisions they've made once they get to a certain point in season two things are going to be interesting that's all i'm going to say about <laughs> that's so cryptic. have it, I, that's exactly how I have to talk. Have you have you recorded these episodes and you're being cagey for my audience or you're being cagey for your players right now? I'm being cagey for my players and oh. potential players. Yeah. Goss. The goss, um, girl. Yeah. I've got I it. mean, there's, there's things we're setting up. Yeah, there are, there are there are things that were setting up here. Lex, um, they, talk about it, guys. I've always got the goss. I've always got the goss. One of the, <laughs> one of the interesting things, too, I mean, I had a recently a world building session with Lizzie, who's the DM of City and Snow. Um, mm-hmm. Because we're sibling podcasts, you know, I am working with her on some of these things, which yes, I also will not divulge. And we need to talk about... Is. We need to talk about the villains podcast that I was talking about would be really cool for uh, to oh. be set in Lanamora. Yes. Let me play a villain. Let me play a villain. Like, oh, sorry. Absolutely. I'm always into it. Um, yes. So, I mean, we had a, a world building session on Thursday, I think Lizzie and I, and it was, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun because of how intertwined the stories are. Mm-hmm. Listen, listen, I'm going to say this now. If you bring in Descendant of Hannah, I will fucking cry. <laughs> I've already, I, I don't know if you're caught up on Legends, but I made a Carpathius uh, reference oh in God. Legends. Um, the Carpathius is their like primary DMPC. He's great. Dude. I love him. He's a like trust. If you bring in a Descendant of Hannah in any form, I will fucking cry. <laughs> Who's to say? Um, but one thing that I want to do with, with the world in general of Lanamora is, you know, be open enough to share in the building with other people because we, you know, we are making the, the, these two separate podcasts telling two different stories with all of this. I mean, the great thing about D&D is it being collaborative storytelling. And so Mm -hmm. one thing that's been interesting for me is also letting go of some of those world building aspects as well. Yeah. Because, and that's hard sometimes. Yeah. In certain instances, I'm really excited about it personally. <laughs> I'm like, yes, absolutely. Let's, this is your thing. I love it. I'm absolutely going to use things later on. Um, <laughs> and I really very much enjoy that. Like one thing I want to be able to do at some point is, you know, say that 
you know, there are tons of games being run in this world that are all canon, you know, because the, the, the time frame is so wild. Like there are 127 ages, e the average um, 127 ages between Legends podcast and the City and Snow podcast. An age on average is about 100 years. So there's all this time that you can play with all these things in the most Jesus. The most fun thing for me is being the primary creator, I guess, of the world is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool with all this stuff. Now let's figure out how we tie it all together. I think that's for me the most fun part of being a DM is yes and now mm. how the fuck do I make this work? <laughs> I agree. See, yeah. uh, I, I kind of run, I run things a little bit differently because I'm mm. not I'm not actively like bringing other people in and like using, letting them use my world because it's it's my world. That's um, your baby. Yeah. Um, what I will do if player characters are receptive enough, I will literally just sit down with them for an hour and just go, okay, let's work out who you are, where you are in the world, who mm-hmm. you know, what you know, etc. And I will just sit down from with them out for like hours and world build with them. Yeah. Which is very conducive to Monster of the Week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. I really, I, I really like getting that excitement from people because it feeds, it feeds back into itself. Yeah. You're going to be more invested into a world if you know where you are in it. If you have sit down, if I've sat down with you, if I worked out where you are, I've worked out details, mm-hmm. I've worked out who you know, I've given you people that you know, et cetera, et cetera. It all feeds back into itself. So you, you feel more connected to the world. I feel like you're like people are respecting my world better. I feel like it, it, it all goes back into itself and it's, it's more fun for everyone. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the trade-off that you make there when you're, when you're less, when you're less open to the collaborative world build, you have to be open to like an educational collaborative character build because you have to help that person know enough about the world and help them build their character in a way that they have built the world around their character. Um, I think is the, is the trade-off there. Um, yeah. I would say the kind of the trade-off comes more into uh, the collaborative world build. It, it comes in different forms. So well, I yeah. would say like, yeah, yeah, it, 100%. It, it, I mean, it, it like different levels. It comes down to, it's like, I'm less, I'm less open to collaborative world building, like changing the base details and things about it. Where Mm -hmm. I know Nate's more open to that sort of thing, but I'm more, I'm more uh, like open to the, okay, while we are in game and while we are building characters, you tell me what you want to do. We'll work it out. Yeah. But you are working like within these rules. But once those, once the game starts, this is a sandbox. You do what the fuck you want. (laughs) Right. Well, so have you guys ever let your players like, uh, so after the game has started, after all those rules have been made, have you ever let them create pieces and then added it in? Uh, it depends. In D&D, partially. It'll be, it'll be things like you can, you'll have your like background NPCs and other things like that. But for my, my world in D&D, it's like, a it's a very set place. You're like, playing you're playing in the doll's house i've set up okay. <laughs> right on. Uh, but in in something like monster of the week character creation is so collaborative and you are creating a character and parts of the world around them mm-hmm. that it's very different to say 
you have NPCs here, you have NPCs here, and things kind of don't change too much, but you can change what you're doing while you're in the world, but you can't meta change things. Mm. But in Monster of the Week, it'll be, there's there's things like uh, the Crooked has, has, has moves that are like, you know people who are here, and when it comes up in play, you just go, the keeper will go, okay, who are they? What do they do? Tell me who they are and what they do. Mm-hmm. And if I trust my players enough, I will just hand them that those reins. Mm-hmm. Right on. I yeah, there there have been things that my players have crafted that I've adopted as part of the world. I think if that is kind of the way that we're looking at it. Um, I mean, uh, with Nova and the Thornburns for Legends, that's whole family tree that has a you know uh, rich history and they apparently invented potion making so sure okay um and so that's been a thing i mean we've had a few different thorn burns throughout the three yes I, I played with one of them uh. yeah. and so that's like a, a kind of a small version because i mean it's it, it's not a i mean why not basically it's kind of where yeah. like yeah if, if this and like, you see uh, it all the time in in especially in D settings it's with it's with like um like if you if you watch dimension 20 uh fantasy high with brennan lee mulligan and in my own games and like that you you see it all the time where like you'll present something as being a part of a character as the g as the gm you're like uh you know this place and then if you hand the reins to the character to the player and that way they can kind of describe the place and they can kind of build the place out um and it becomes collaborative in that kind of way and they can have a hand um in all of that yeah right i mean with with um you know the world building sessions i do with lizzie obviously there's one thing that's going to come up in city and snow. I don't know if the episode's been recorded yet or not, but there is a mechanic that Lizzie told developed. You. I told you I've got the goss. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie developed a mechanic for a specific thing that I was like, yes, absolutely. That's if perfect. I say ritual, yeah. does that make sense? Mm, I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's definitely something that has been created, and a, a few of the city and snow characters actually have um, had more of an impact on the world of Lanamora than my characters have. Right. Um, like Yor, who's played by Izzy, is a paladin, and paladins. At and the- they're set before Lanam. They're set before Legends as well. Like, yeah, way, a long way, time. Way, so they're way, gonna have they're gonna have they, like their game has implications, but they also have certain constraints as well. Yeah, and so one of the constraints that I put in on the the world of Lanamora, there are no gods, there are no paladins, there are no warlocks. Those yeah. are the rules. Um, and then I put those rules in place for certain reasons. One of those rules I broke pretty early on in the legends campaign season one because it made sense narratively and then we had the first warlock in millennia in drew one of those players but as i the other rules i'm like oh 
I don't know if I mentioned there are no undead either. Um, and so one of the other rules was, you know, there are no paladins. And then Izzy had such a great idea for their character in City and Snow that I was like, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And um, it's because non-binary people get what we want. That's just how it goes. And it's so Lizzie and I just recently we just figured out. just get what we want. Yeah, Lizzie, the DM, and I just figured out recently, like, what does that look like? Why does it look the way it does? Yeah, um, which cool. is really cool. And so, yeah, I mean, this is. And you had after. to do that with, you had to do that with Drew's necromancy as well. Yeah, because Drew, being a warlock, she's also one of the first people in at least written memory that can actually have Crazy. some hold on the undead. Um, and spirits and so it's like it's kind of like one of those things where it's a fledgling art now and there aren't many if any people who can do it Um, and so it's I think especially for those things where it narratively makes things more interesting I'm more willing to bend and break those rules yeah I and again coming from Coming from long form RP initially, I'm super into collaborative world building. Whenever you have big group RPs, like you always have to have some degree of collaboration in the world build. Um, so yeah, like I, I am super into that. I, uh, it's hard for me with my ADHD to not hyper fixate when I world build and like I'm like I need to know okay I need to know what kind of religions there are what those religions you know think truly like are 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 these you know is this religion split up the way Christianity is are there different sects what do those like I just get so hyper fixated sometimes uh that I have to why am I now trying to figure out what the cost of grass seed per bushel is I was looking at this right (laughs) truly uh 100 percent and um so i i have to kind of remind myself and and step back and be like no 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 no, no. like we can do this together and it might that they may may net this may never come up why am i pressuring myself to figure this out so i say all of that to to tell all the people listening that want to home build and work homebrew and world built that you don't have to figure everything out. Some things you can figure out as it comes up. Like, I think you definitely should have foundational stuff figured out. Right. As I, I kind of want to drop something in that's related to that. Yeah. Uh, so a while ago, I ran City Sides Cardiff on this yeah. stream for people. The entire stream was improv. Every single second of it was improv. I had what two scenes planned <laughs> out. The scene where you found the Snallygaster in Cardiff Arcade and the very intro scene. That is it. Every single part of it was made up improv. Yeah. And you don't have to have big worlds like all created with all lots of little details. Because especially if you can work with your players, they will help you fill in the gaps. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and I, I kind of want to drop something on that subject is... Yes. So Monty Cook made uh they did a big ass kickstarter for invisible sun i don't know if you guys have heard this mm-hmm. my group yes. got to play that it was one of the most fun things we have ever played because the whole concept was really neat 
But from the get-go, my GM came to each of us and as a part of the character creation process went, what kind of play style do you want? And they basically split up three major ways of world building. I want to explore. Um, I want to gain power and I want to create and add new things to the world. And so as a part of that basic question, my GM basically kind of had a, an idea of how this campaign was going to go because he had an expectation from the get-go of like, we mm. each wanted certain, certain things. Like I was really a, uh, I want to add things. And one of my friends was a, I want to just, I want to get the numbers. I want to get all the spells. I want to get all the things. And so he got to pre-plan create how his campaign was going to go based on that. So with the conversations of the characters from, I mean, not characters, conversations of the players before the game starts, but also as a way of world building on an improv, almost on an improv scale. It's really cool being able to do that. Yeah. yeah. And I've kind think- of implemented that in other games. Yeah. There are moments in legends that, you know, obviously these, not the, the characters, well, that mean the characters, but by extension, the players, I absolutely want to know more about this information and it's stuff that's like, Nova, I'm looking at you. This isn't relevant to the story right now because this is, this was a little thing that I put in as a flavor background. Um, dot, 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 I dreamed in. Um, they're in chat right now asking. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm just now looking at chat. I've been a horrible host. I'm so sorry. I'm just now looking at chat. Hi. Um, the curse of Idrindon is that they won't leave him alone. Um, that was, it's one of the longest running jokes is that they keep looking for more info on this guy, Idrindon, and it's, you know, um, fuck off. Not f- fuck off. Like it's, 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 it's interesting information for sure. Is it part of this story? No. Is it going to pull this story that we're now a season and some change into right now completely off the rails? Yes. So unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I have to put the guardrails up. But because by the time, you know, season two is over, we're going to have three years under our belt in content for mm. the world of Lanamora. At that point, I can say, hey, what stories do you all want to explore? And I'm, I think I'm pretty excited about that. I would like to explore the story of the cleric Malekith and before he was a level 20 god. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now that little mini arc that we did for, we, we did a a winter uh, episode, three winter episodes mm-hmm. called it Frost Feast Anomaly. The, oh, that, that, that episode was set 30 years prior to the events of our current seasons. There's a lot of information in those three episodes. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I kind of want to talk about something that we talked touched on a little bit earlier, but I kind of want to bring a different light to it, if I yeah. may. Yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. One thing I wanted to talk about was uh, restrictions keepers, compl- keepers, DMs, GMs, whatever, can place on players at even at character creation. So in my world, in the world that's currently going on in an Essian tale, mm. uh, there is no goblinoids. They don't exist. Goblins, bugbears, 
hobgoblins. They do not exist. Straight up. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff from, I think, like the Magic the Gathering systems. Like it's it just doesn't it just doesn't exist. Like you don't have Warforged. You don't have uh, like the Theros stuff. It's just it's just not there. Um, and there's also a few subclasses I restrict and races and stuff. I don't allow the Reborn from the newest one, and I don't allow Tempest clerics because they're too good. I know. Uh, no, very different reason. Um, a lot of the stuff is like conducive to the story, mm-hmm. and I don't have hard set limits on it, aside from a few things. But I also believe that those limitations can be used to foster more creativity, because mm-hmm. if, especially if you're playing in like a my, we talked about it before. But I am a very collaborative character creator. If you come into my game saying I want, I want to play a goblin, whatever, who does this and this, and I'm like, you're going to be disappointed because like either either it's not part of my world or part of the world that you're trying to explore just might not exist. So I would rather sit down with someone for an hour and a half, work around the restrictions that I've set up and create something better as a result. But also I, I don't feel that because the GM's there, there is to have fun as well. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to face something that has and- happened to them, maybe like oh, yeah. personally, I restrict Tempest clerics because and I'm, I'm just going to come out straight and say it. Uh, one of the people who like fairly heavily abused me in the past played a Tempest cleric in D and D. And that is now just like directly connected to Tempest Clerics. I can never break that connection. Yeah. So Tempest Clerics are not allowed in my games and they never will be. So if you come to me saying, I want to play a Tempest Cleric, I'll say, get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've told you why. Get out. Yeah. So I shouldn't have to deal with that as a GM either. Yeah. (laughs) No. And that's the thing is like you, like, uh, again, going back to like, we have got to be engaging in in consent in all parts of our life, especially in mm-hmm. D D. Like we need to have these informed conversations with the, with the other players at the table and the GM to to just and then we have kind of a session zero game. Yep. So so you know we've all talked to each other. We've all you know talked about our boundaries. Talked about our playgrounds you know what's fair game what's not okay cool we all know that theoretically all right now let's sit down and let's play together a session zero and if if it gels if the chemistry works great if not oh well if a couple of you are feeling it and some of you aren't then you know you're your adults figure it out but uh, and I mean, maybe you're not adults. I don't, you should be adults if you're listening to this. You should be at least 18. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> God <know>. damn. <laughs> Does that uh, apply to hosts as well? Or, <laughs> oh no, I, I am just the edge of 13. <laughs> um, bless you. Um, but yeah, like that's the thing is like you need to be having these conversations, you need to be having these kind of preliminary games to determine if you guys are gonna work out. Like, and it's okay if you don't, like, we're all adults, and sometimes we're looking for different things, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be from like a this is triggering standpoint it could be from like i don't really like to play with min maxers i oh yeah 
I'm not super into playing with min maxers. Like I can do it, especially if it's like a large party situation. Like, like if it's a six person party, having one min maxer, not the end of the world. But like I I don't game that way. So I'm not super into playing with people who do. Like I like more RP. Like, sure, I like combat. Like combat's fun, but I like RP as well. Like that's what got me into it. Like I used to write paragraphs, bitch. Like I'm a fan fiction writer. I like RP. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've, I played in a game when I was in high school and the GM had a very specific thing that he played in a three, five world. And he said, you guys will play humans because in my world, it's a Britain-esque continent idea. Like you're basically humans in Britain and there are other races. Those are all the antagonists. That's what it is. They're there. Ew, uh, Hi, I can't move for all these red flags. <laughs> that feels that feels so colonizery and oh, that's so gross. I mean, that's it colonialism. Was... The game. <laughs> Not a, like we were. We were in one little area, and I wasn't in the game for very long. Um, and my guys died a lot because reasons uh oh there's tea there wait uh what (laughs) well he he was one of these gms where he had ideas about what he wanted um the players to go up against and sometimes that was very story oriented and sometimes it was not like Mm -hmm. it makes no real sense of why a random storm giant shows up because i used the table and so my little lowly fighter totally got murdered just straight up because like, oh. uh, well, you attack, you, you know, something that was a CR eight went against a bunch of fourth level guys. And the reason for that was, well, should have tried to avoid it. Like, well, we tried kind of. Yeah. Not I, every, I, I touched a table. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing as well as like, when it comes to are you gaming in good faith well i mean yeah there's that and then also there's just you know the thought of encounters not combat specifically so it's Mm. like so often it's you're either doing rp or combat and there's not a lot of gray area in between the two and it's like if you throw something like a storm giant at a bunch of fourth level players you know do the players know your intent with that? Like, is this something like, did I just roll on a table and this is what I rolled? Oh, you should probably run from this, but I might not be explicit and tell you that. Like, do these level four players know that they can't go up against that? And is that player knowledge versus character knowledge? That's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's like, there's so many more interesting things to do than a strict combat encounter with whatever monsters antagonizers what have you and i think that's something that needs to be set up and definitely talked about like the world isn't all just war and peace there are shades of gray 
Yeah. And there's opportunity, like, and that's the thing is like in encounters, there's opportunity to like sway it any kind of way. Like, look at what happened in Honey Heist today. <laughs> like there is there is a way to, you know, kind of swing things um so that they don't happen a certain way. Um, and this has this this was supposed to be about world building, and we've gone all kinds of all over the place about GMing. So if you want to if you want to Lex talk about its series on GMing, tell us on Twitter, and maybe we'll make it happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do have something that is world building. Actually, yes. I had a question. Yes, for everyone, hit me. Oh no, who said oh no? Lane. Oh Why? no. Why? Why oh no? <laughs> Someone's got to be the antagonist. Well, you've touched on what I'm going to touch on. Um, when you're creating your antagonists, what do you go to? Like, what is the driving force Ooh. behind your antagonists? There's such a driving force for the your player characters. Like, yeah. What goes into actually creating them for you? Background story and player choice. So you drive it by what your players are doing and what they've got. Yeah. If you're... Um, because I have I have NPCs and characters set up in the world, and like I said, your my players will players' actions will change how they think of you, what they're doing, what they're like, how they're acting in the world. So uh, in the first ever game I ran, there's there's an NPC who is essentially on make worked working on making the world's first gun, and that was her in, like her entire little thing. She was constantly traveling around continents and just using her like her money and power and like political sway to get the materials to build this first gun and she kind of constantly kept running into the players no. not due to her own <laughs> like partially due to her own machinations and partially due to what the players were doing mm -hmm. so she'd go to if she was in Urlo, she'd be then next heading to Port Vienza to head to the next continent over. And if the players happened to meet up, that would change things. Like, and what they did, that would change things. So if they, uh, so for one part, she needed a rock called Faith Steel to kind of like work the trigger mechanism, and it would only work with that. The players previously had killed like this group of bandits that were kind of taking over and keeping people out of the face steel mines so as a result uh the face steel became a lot easier to procure and she was like more happy with them but the things like other things that she they, they did were affecting her opinion of them and in the end it came it came down to they'd pissed her off enough that she is now the she is now like one of the major antagonists towards them yeah but the things she'd do and help they helped her along the way they hindered her along the way and it all built that up while I was also bringing in things from other people's backstories and like working those in, there were other arcs that were happening. Characters were changing in the background and mm -hmm. it all depended on the player actions. I never had a set villain mm -hmm. unless they were created by the player or were part of the backstories. Yeah. All of them were character driven and player made. For me, um, it kind of depends. It's been a mix of things. Um, there are definitely ones that, like, I, I've, you know, pre-made a story. And, like, this is, you know, the villain. And then, you know, 
certain decisions about how that villain gets played get made based on the choices of players sometimes like sometimes i don't have a preset personality for a villain or a preset uh mo but then other times it's 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 player created um you know if there's a recurring npc that recurringly is treated poorly because they think it's a a meme like sometimes that turns into a villain and like in ways that in subtle ways that they wouldn't expect like so it, it, it depends uh for me for sure um i'm more on the lex way of I have a lot of pre-made people, but yeah, they're kind of like shells and I am filling up their details with the interactions that are provided along gameplay. There are a few times I have very specific set bad guys with their personalities, but those have always been quick games that weren't going to last very long. And I needed, I, I was basically running them through a module. Uh, like mm-hmm. the most recent one was I ran them through the movie Underworld. Oh my fucking God. And it was so hilarious. these kids, I mean, like I had all the characters with most of their stuff all mapped out. Cause like, it's a movie. It's what it is. Right. But the way they got there. Please and note then, the kids had never watched it. So they did not know what they were doing. I was about to say, I would be right. How, okay, we're, we're throwing the term kids around, but we are people who call 21 year olds. Uh, no, these are like, I game on average with 14 to 17 year olds. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, and 14 so, like, year olds they, have no business having seen Underworld. 17 year olds, I would allow, but well, they, just, no. they just didn't. Know, I mean, like that action movie era was not in their yeah. so. God, that is so. Let's not get into it because I'll, uh, but, let's, but I mean, I mean, regardless, like I had, you know, we're all familiar with that movie. Like I had, yeah, Faith, I, I had Victor, I had, Oh, Lucia you're not no? completely mapped out. Oh. And was like, this is what their personality is. Cause I'm running, but all the little details inside zigzagged it. And you know, it wasn't exactly the recreation of the movie, but just damn close because yeah. those kids made the same choices. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious that they instinctually made the same choices as the movie, and in every corner they were like, "Oh my God, what's happening next?" And I'm like, "That's true." Also, the way that the way that that campaign was set up, like you obviously can't play with a group of four, Celine and Michael. That just yeah. doesn't work. So instead, they played the vampire SWAT team, Death Dealers, underneath Celine, and so they so- got. Experience everything that the main characters experienced, but they had to make their own decisions about who they were aligning with. For the sake of Lane and other people who might be in the Twitch channel or listening via the podcast, um, let's explain a little bit about Underworld. Like Cliff knows. Vampires and werewolves. Yeah. It is a very cliche, classic Romeo Juliet story. Uh, instead of Capulets and Monte, uh, Montague's. Montagues, it's vampires, werewolves. That's pretty much it. And um, they have like fuck. a sw- and they have a SWAT team. Well, well so the idea is it's it's modern day. Yeah, it was set in two thousand two when the original movie came out. There had been a long time war between vampires and werewolves. Werewolves were the 
daytime slaves and watchers, guardians of when the vampires slept and they rebelled. And so there has been this rebellion war that has been going on for centuries. And then the movie starts with this young vampire who is trying to figure out shit and be a good person uh, for, for her culture. And she ends up falling in love with dude who gets turned into a werewolf pretty early into the movie. And then it becomes this Romeo and Juliet story and politics plus fun action, plus blowing things up with guns and stuff. It's honestly a pretty simple story. Yeah. That's, I mean, and the movie's fun and stuff, but as a campaign, it's, it's linear. It really is. Yeah. But it was linear with really fun dips and details and, especially with a group of kids who have never seen this. It's almost like I homebrewed it. Yeah. They thought I homebrewed it. And I was like, <laughs> it's Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> like, yeah. Jokes on you. You all got homework now. Right. Oh, and yeah. and after, after the game was over, I totally went screen share. Cause we played on zoom. I was like, screen share. This is what I ran you through this first movie. If you want to have I fun. I would feel so fucking cheated. Uh, some, of them, some of them were. Some you know, of them were like, what? You didn't you, make all this up? Like, <laughs> no. Do you know what's so funny is that right now, or maybe not so much anymore, but up until very recently, you could have probably run a run a game based on Blade and nobody would have known. Oh my right. gosh. Yeah. Because like that's never been a terribly popular comic and people don't really watch that movie anymore. People don't talk about like I know Gen Zers who have no idea who Blade is or what that shit's about. How, Blade, how many people have you killed? 11,497. Bad guys and antagonists, I feel like have to be very loose because otherwise you're it's called writing a novel yeah like it and because the whole essence of what we're doing is not concretely writing things down we're letting them make choices then kind of have to be adaptable and in the end in in the first place yeah and you can have like some some of my villains are slightly more like their their mo their motives might be super concrete right like they you know they are a villain because they are doing this thing because they have this belief system because it's a cliched quote and like not i don't it's not always true but i do like it like i i find that the best villains always do believe that they're the hero of their own story like you know i i i don't especially if i'm in the gm chair if they're my big bad evil guy like if they are the person behind everything of the campaign like I don't want them to just be evils for evil's sake. Like that's boring. Like they, they need to have like concrete motives. They need to be like a person. Um, but the ways that they go about being a villain might vary. Like, you know, like it's, it's very much that like trial and error thing of like, they might throw a bunch of different curveballs and might ha- try a bunch of different strategies because my players are running around fucking shit and I've got to figure out how to do it. <laughs> right. But in game, the, the, the logic is, you know, that, you know, this is an adaptable villain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I, it's, go ahead. 
Oh, I it's so I guess slight spoilers or something um, or mini announcement. Like I'm in the middle of planning three mini campaigns, mini adventures to start my GMing foray with Novi. And mm-hmm. each one of these three little campaigns have very different antagonists. I can't even quite say that there's villains in mm-hmm. any of them, but there are certainly antagonists and they're all coming from different points of view. And one, it's going to be all about the moral choice presented to the players. We'll decide who's the true antagonist in the situation, whether it's certain other NPCs or the player characters themselves become the antagonist. It all depends on what's going to unfold in play. In another one, you have a freaking, essentially a family feud going on, and whose side are you going to be on in all of this? And then the third one, uh, uh, you could either, <laughs> it, it could be very simply white people are the problem or nature. Again, it's going to, that will definitely be up and interpreted into. It, it's white people. It's white people. White people are the problem. It's always white. It's going to be up to interpretation of the viewers at that point, because the players are definitely going to be going through situations. Um, but it's going to, I want you were to make that choice of like, who's actually in the wrong here. Mm-hmm. Listen, here's um, the thing. Here's the thing. They're entitled go. to their wrong opinion. <laughs> it's white people. Uh... <laughs> One thing that I find interesting is thinking back on it now, hearing, you know, everything that you all have said, um, you know, with my foray into fifth edition, the, only full module I ran has been Curse of Strahd. Um, and that's obviously singular villain. He is who he is. He's going to do what he does within these parameters. He do what he do. He does what he does. He's Dracula. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> which was nice. It was, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, it, it's kind of flat when you're putting up against, you know, that kind of um, backdrop, I guess. But what i ended up doing with legends is well i I created one i created the big bad evil guy basically um tess v the console um spoiler alert um Hmm. you find out at the end of season one um after he's been betrayed by and presumably murdered in the midpoint of season one um, then you find out he's been working in the shadows this whole time and he's got these big plans. Anyway, um, so I Working in the him. shadows. Hmm. 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 Everyone thought was the villain the whole time, like the main big bad, <laughs> because he's the one who ended up killing Tess Vig, air quotes. Um, and so, but they have their motives. They are singular entities. They have their. They are what they are, basically. I was about to say some other stuff that I shouldn't say yet. Um, <laughs> but Yo, they, I'm gonna get somebody. I'm gonna get somebody that's Tom Holland on this podcast. I know uh, it. Not me. No way. No how. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what I have and have not digressed yet. <laughs> um, well, you just put a target on your back, sir. 
You can well, certainly try. I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you what I tell my players. You can certainly try. <laughs> well, but, I always, I always have liked stories that had more complicated endings. Yeah. So when you have a just stamp of like bad guy, it was Dracula. Like okay, but when the ending has this like ambiguity, mm-hmm. but also because you've seen the process, like be fucking cool. Yeah, and that's why I'm not. That's why I'm not about like 100% total escapism, right? Like, um, I enjoy games where you kind of, yeah, you have like a real villain, but also like the villain is capitalism or like the villain is racism. Like, the, like you know, I, uh, if, it, if it is a game where we are purposefully dismantling that harmful thing from real life cool like i can get behind it like if everybody at the table is down like i'm down let's do it together like if we all trust each other and the gm is comfortable you know inhabiting that space 100 let's do it um and and that's what people don't get like you like everybody is allowed to have boundaries including gms it's that's life like people have boundaries and some gms just aren't comfortable inhabiting the mindset that you have to inhabit if you're making racism an attribute of your villain yeah well i kind of want to touch on something with that actually Um, one of the one of the things in my games is that I, i i opt for the thing of racism doesn't exist and if it does it is fucking abhorrent and it is punished incredibly severely in universe Mm -hmm. so uh an example i had was fairly early on in a game players came across a guy it was he was like a baker in one of these small little small little cities what they didn't know is that secretly beforehand he'd been he'd been others in other cities just like poisoning any drow he came across Mm. because he is a worthless piece of shit who just did that because he was a racist right and up until then, they had never ever seen any instances of racism in the world because it just doesn't exist. Yeah. So when they met that, when they met him, basically getting his punishment for being a racist, it was a fucking vigilante. Just he is being killed because he is doing this in this game. Yeah. yeah. And that is it. That is the reality of this world. If you are a shithead to other people in that way, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I also don't believe that um, it's like you said before. I don't feel like I should have to step into the mindset mm-hmm. as a character of someone who is being like that because I'm uncomfortable doing that. I don't want yeah. to. I don't want to like look at someone who's playing a tiefling and start giving them like shit for the character they're playing for the person they are being in that instance. Because there is a certain level where that does cross over into life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, like, since I game with kids, I've thought hard about that. Like, how Mm -hmm. much do I include? Because I want to be a teacher, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to belittle a child just because, like, oh, you're playing this and by the rules of the game, whatever. So, like, I go in this middle ground where I have it in there and I never actually use or do anything that they could say is like oh you've just done racist racist and racism things i'll say like oh this person says a racist comment to that person and they're like well what and i'm like i'm not gonna say 
Yeah. I'm not going to say it, but I am going to tell you because I'm wanting you to know the reality that that's here. That's there. And then I leave yeah. it at that. And if the kids specifically are like, well, that's a bad thing. Right. I'm like, you're right. That part, like, and then I start expanding on, well, that person is about to get into huge trouble. And kind of like Lane said, like it's punished harshly, but I'm not going to show you the punishment unless you ask about it. Yeah. I want it. I want it to be, I want you to be aware, but I'm not going to, it's not necessarily my job to describe it all to you in depth. I had a point initially when I started to go into it, forgot the point while I was talking and then remembered it as you were talking. Incredible. Um, I don't believe that if you're, I'm completely down for having things like racism, racism, capitalism, et cetera, deconstructed in a world. But at the same time, if you are showing people getting away with it with almost no consequences in the world, you are not sending a good message. Right. You do you are not doing what you think you are doing. Right. Like if you if you have someone that's like part you want to say one of your part I'm gonna use fifth edition again because it's a good example because Wizards of the Coast is shit. Um if you if you have a party member that's a drow and you you have a uh NPC that's being shitty and racist towards them and gets away with it because it's it happens in the world, or like you are saying you're going, yes, there is racism in this game. And that person just got away with it. So it's okay now. Right. You might might be in the world saying like, yes, he is that one person who's getting away with it. But you have just now shown that there are people getting away with it, that you're not acting out and you are not condemning it. Yeah. So you are not sending the message you think you are sending. Yeah. That sort of thing. And it's complicated too in, in Galen that you that you work with kids um, because I think especially when working with a mix of kids, right? Like you have white kids and you have, you know, children of color. Yeah. Um, and I'll stop you there. No, uh, primarily the children that show up for the tabletop games are white boys there is currently three girls is there three yeah yeah it's it's very one-sided and so i'm really using it as a chance to show the white boys don't be shitty don't be shitty like yeah that's that's also why like yeah and and so and that's one of the things so in that you have an opportunity to Oh, and I cannot remember this woman's name right now. And I am so angry oh, that I yeah, can't. The, the experiment lady. Yes. You yeah. know who I, you know who I'm talking about. I don't know about. her name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, that teacher. And and so yeah, you have it you have an opportunity to have that kind of moment, right? Where you really because that's the thing is like white kids, part of white privilege is having the privilege of learning about racism as opposed to experiencing it. Right. And in, in this moment of GMing, you have the opportunity to allow them to experience it and be like, this is what it is. And it's awful. And it should be condemned. And we're condemning it at this table as you should in real life. 
but like this is an experience you know and so it's it's very complicated right and like me as as a person of marginalized identity like there are certain things that I don't ever really want to experience in game. And then there are other things that I'm super comfortable, Mm -hmm. like experiencing at the table. Um, And again, it just goes back to like having those consent conversations with your players and with your GM, you really need to know about each other. Um, Yeah. I've got an example of a time where like the opportunity arise to like where, where where we had to make a hard no like nope we're not going to do this kind of game because we're not going to yeah. do x y and z yeah and what it was is the the, the larping thing mm. part, of the, part of the cops part uh the 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 shit like, <laughs> uh, time traveling cops piece was that whenever we went into a piece of history we tried to show both sides so like when it's the ancient egyptians that's easy when it's uh, Aztec. That was Aztec, so fun. Easy. Uh, Hannibal versus you know the uh, Africa. Easy. Like you can show both Ooh. sides and be like, where did this piece of history go wrong and stuff? But there was one time uh, the kids one, asked. For... One of the kids was like World War II era, and we were like, nope, we are not going to be showing the other multiple side. other sides of like devil's advocate argument. Like, nope, nope, we're not doing it. Not doing it. There are there are too many things, too many moving parts, too many things going on in World War II. And almost none of the good guys were like truly good. Mm. So like mm, yeah, maybe we don't. All of it. Like the whole thing just exploded. It was like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> At all. We're gonna pick something more happy, like ancient blank. <laughs> Like, I have kind of I have kind of a story that kind of segues off of that a little actually. Yeah. Um it's a kind of like a when does the GM or like the players or the GM just say hard no this situation is not happening. Um for the first time I ever like the first game I ever ran for that I ended up having a hard limit where I went no this is not happening and as of now this group is not part I will not be DMing for you anymore. Mm. Uh my poor soul. I had to GM for four straight white boys. No. Sorry. <laughs> and capitalized on all of those words. Um, <laughs> uh, they come to a small kind of outcast town where this is in a very early version of my world, where kind of more of the monstrous outcast races came to just be themselves. This is like, this is our little space. And we are defending this against pretty much fucking fantasy Amazon that was trying to get in on it. I'm not going to lie. That's basically what the like inspiration for it was. It was fantasy Amazon. Um, and they'd just been doing like smaller things that made me realize they have no fucking empathy with the people who are living in this village whatsoever. Yeah. It was lots of smaller little things and they were getting pissy at me because of their reactions to these things. And I just realized there's this fundamental disconnect between they have never even been in slightly in the position that these marginalized people in any way have been. And there's three instances that really stuck in my mind of what they did. Uh, The first one, they were were kind of like investigating a cult initially, which is why they were brought here. 
they had a coin which the cult members used to identify, like, identify each other. Uh, they had it, and one of them just took the coin and started walking through the city center, just twiddling it in his thumbs. This is the this is a known coin, a known symbol of basically racist murderers. Yikes! That you now are taking and walking through a town village of marginalized outcast people. So that was number one, which got the city, like the very high up city guard, who was a level nineteen rogue, that just like got them and like, okay, you're, I'm now watching you, and I'm now tailing you. The second one was when they met the kind of like secretary slash like town hall employee that like does a lot of the record keeping for that little village was a drow guy. And they were immediately like very, very suspicious of him. But when he talked nice to them, they they lost that suspicion immediately. So again, that was a that was another strike. And when they four instances, um when they just went up to some fucking random half-orc guard and started grilling him on a cult and saying he was part of this cult with no evidence whatsoever. The, like, level 19 rogue was like, I've fucking had enough of you lot. You come into this village, you're just being shits to people, and this, she was ready to just, like, kill them on the spot there and then because she'd been following them and had just watched them do all this shit to people she'd basically been sworn to defend yeah. yeah so that was the third instance but the one that really really just cemented it for me uh part of the like preventable things was if they found out who was going through and like kind of fucking things up in the town they'd be able to stop someone's house from being fireballed they didn't manage to do that and the drow woman who got her house her house fire her house slash magic store fireballed had only had one thing stolen from it and it's very clear that that's what they were after the entire time that the attack was not racially motivated it is a you have made this magic item that we want and we are going to get it from you by fireball after after the fire had been put out and the, the entire village was basically like coming around and comforting this one person who just had their house burned down, right. their livelihood stripped away. One of the players stepped up to her as she's crying in the street and says, you know, maybe she did it herself because they're drow and they're like that. Oh, shit. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, I yeah, I think I would be mm-mm. done with the game at that point too. I, yeah, at that moment, I went. I am not GMing for any of you anymore. Bye. I'm done. Go Bye. find another GM. No, no, and yeah, like we're all allowed to have lim- like that's 100. We're all allowed to have boundaries and limits, and like sometimes it's a matter of saying, you know, yo, hold up, like that came up against something. You know, let's talk about it you know, and then let's move the role play on. Um, but something like that, absolutely. Like I is nope done. No explanations. Do not pass go Do do not collect $200. This game is over. Yeah. Like, no, thank you. Mm. And like, no. you can, you can run around and say, I'm crazy and call me a bitch or what the fuck ever. I don't want to 
game with people like that. Like, I don't want, no. Lord. Uh, well, good for you for setting the boundary and, and mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. It's a long story, but the pu- the punch that hits you at the end is it's something. <laughs> Man. Wow. Like, I mean... That takes the cake. Wow. wow. Yeah. Does. I, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate that I've not been in positions where I need to draw a line and enforce a hard line because that's just because you don't play with racists. I'm sorry. I'd like, I'm sorry, but if somebody is going to like, um, no, no, like that was unprompted. Like you had not set up any, you had not set up anything about drow being bad in your, like in your world, anything. (laughs) And he goes and says some shit like that. Like, no, you're a racist. You fully embrace this bullshit. Like, you may not recognize that you have, you know, internalized all all these racist beliefs, but you have. That's kind of where it comes back to, again, kind of, oh, we're segueing back to world building. Um, Yeah. That's kind of where I think a lot of, I'm going to dunk on official D&D again, because. Go for it. I like doing that. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of where shit people just see something like that and they're so willing to accept it and place these people who are just... they, they, they It's the classic thing of, oh, they're written that way, so it's fine. It's like, no. Can't you very clearly see like the harmful stereotypes that this is going to perpetuate out of nothing? Mm-hmm. Like the... Uh, like the using the drow and gnolls as an example because they're the two that i think are most heinous out of it it is these el- all these elves are fine except these ones with dark skin that aren't <laughs> and well, people don't see how that's not harmful like okay or, like, or in general still D yeah. term you can play a half work but you can't play a full work yeah right no <laughs> listen like just from basic player's handbook, first forty pages, halves yeah. halves are okay, but yes, full yes, you can full only they're bad. You can't do that. But if you're halfy, eh, you're good. You you can only play a half of a character with tribal origins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lex, you and I like. Uh, I want to a... and like and and they get a negative two to intelligence and 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 their religion largely when when it is addressed is steeped in violence. Yeah. Uh the yeah. way that orcs are set up in D and D makes me so angry. Like the orcs make me incredibly angry. The uh, Gungans from Star Wars make me incredibly angry. For so, there are so many different racial stereotypes slammed together. Like there are, there are things about natives in there. There are things about black people in there. There, are th- like there's so many problematic stereotypes slammed into Gungans, and like, and so like that's the thing, right? Is like. Uh, like you have to be careful when you're including these sorts of things in your worlds. Um, and you have to be careful world building in general, especially, especially if you are someone 
who comes from several layers of privilege. So like, and we, we luckily have a couple of different demographics located here in this table talk. Uh, but like, you know, if you take, you know, Nate, Nate comes from, you know, Nate is the level of, of privilege that we aspire to. I am to. white privilege TM. Yeah. Like, you know, Galen, are you white? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I, I no this, this this handsome beard and luscious hair and this like sun kissed look oh, like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Slovak I'm like I'm the darker white but I'm still- <laughs> he's toasted Wonder Bread yeah <laughs> I'm sorry I said that out loud no because <laughs> it's like because it's no because it's like I'm I am chai with heavy cream and oh! you. <laughs> you are milk with chocolate syrup in it like i'm just you can see the, the luminance on my face right now if you're looking at the video. I'm, it's summer in arkansas I've, I'm, I'm a little darker than normal but i'm screaming okay no it's fine it's fine i it's fine <laughs> that's fine no, it's really confusing i am totally white passing i am lighter than my husband uh, but i'm the ethnic one. like are yeah. you not even spicy white like are you just like not as white? far as i know i am <laughs> well and, and so that okay so that's something for me <laughs> honestly why i world build, world build the way i do mm-hmm. honestly is i am white as mm-hmm. far as i know my mom's side is uh, Slovak from Czechoslovakia. My dad's side said they sprung up from, from Ken- the cornfields <laughs> in, in, in Kentucky. Like, do you know where? No, yeah. Kentucky, somewhere. So, like, I have no culture. Like, I don't, I never had rituals. I never had, I mean, oh. even if with how oh. much I don't want to get on, on top of or may have someone get on top of a soapbox, but. Like even like the basic Sunday church ritual, like never really had, like never had mm-hmm. any rituals in my life. So I went to games. Yeah. And so my, my passion for creating random cultures and any part of it is because I don't have one. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So we have, you know, two, two white men, uh, two white men, uh, straight white men, they 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 have the privilege they have the power right uh and then you have you, you know lesbian uh Bean. uh i have one exception to this and that is talson jaffe thank you yeah <laughs> uh lesbians and their exceptions i love it all of them have one all of them i don't care i don't care what they tell you they do and then you know joe a woman of color who is you know white passing and you know me who's very visibly queer um of trans experience uh you know like there's you know so much different happening here um so we all are probably going to have a different opinion on this um but i am okay with like playing in game if i'm playing a queer character I'm okay with that character experiencing homophobia if I get to beat the shit out of that person without repercussions. Like if I like if that person like if that person is in the wrong and people celebrate me punishing them or people punish them before I have to, like cool, whatever. 
Um, if we like, or if you know, you you have a player who wants to, because the thing is, is like, people use game for a lot of different things um and a lot of people especially people who prefer it for the rp use it to process stuff that is going on in their real life people use it to process gender feels sexuality feels like all kinds of stuff um and so you know it becomes it becomes part of your task of world building of like okay like this is something you want your character to experience how do we fit this into this world so it kind of going back to Lane's theme of the mm-hmm. night of pooing on uh, Wizards of the Coast, I think it's fair to point out the origins within all of that. Uh, I might be misinformed, but I mean, straight white male perspective is the foundation of all of those things. And it's still reflective even now. Um, and when someone is coming in and world building and, in an attempt to be a multidimensional story, things that I see him do all the time because uh, he wants to include the idea of other cultures and other rituals and aspects. He does the due diligence to research and I have my own well of knowledge. And so he's always like, how would I put this? Like, how does this work? Like, what's a good book? And And so there's this outside community aspect that there is an easy, especially with the internet, there is an easy way to be sincere and in including other cultures to round out your world. But then, I mean, selfish plug again, Coyote and Crow. Hello. I'm like, I don't show it in my ears. It is I'm, 4 a.m. <laughs> I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Um, I just got overexcited. The, uh, so Coyote and Crow is coming from like a brand new perspective of like, we're just going to be a cat and push all this bullshit off the table. Mm-hmm. What is it? What's remaining? And like, let's play in this world and let's imagine in this world in this setting. And not enough of that really happens that you have mm-hmm. creators from a completely different culture formulating their fantastical mythos around their own selves and it's and and when it does happen it doesn't get it doesn't get the attention it deserves which is why i was so excited to see coyote and crow do as well as it did and when i saw that they broke a million dollars that is right coyote and crow broke a million dollars in their fundraising with kickstarter which makes them top five Six. Top top six. They're number six. They're top ten. They're number six of uh, most RP, tabletop RPGs, uh, indie RPGs in the world. Yeah. So shout outs to them. They deserve it. But yeah, like you, it, most of the time, these perspectives don't get publicity and they don't get out. And and that's why I'm so like that's what I love about my podcast is I get to bring people of different identities and experiences together to amplify voices that don't usually get to be heard. Um, and and that's what I love about what Coyote and Crow is doing. And that's what I love to do in my world building um, and what Galen apparently loves to do and what I love to hear. Um, I mean, it's, it's something where uh, taking Coyote and Crow as an example of like, how would those, those straight white boys Lane dealt with have dealt with a world like Coyote and Crow? And how, like, would they have been able to, like, 
cognitive dissonance didn't knock them on the ass, like, would they have been able to manage through that kind of space? And well, I mean, especially since the creators of Coyote and Crow were like, respectfully, we didn't make any other part of that world. <laughs> we don't give a shit. Because I loved, I loved the question and answer part where the someone had asked, like, what is Europe doing inside of your world? Like, I'm very interested academically. And they were like, we didn't make it. We don't care. We don't care. It's yeah. not about them. Yeah, that's like, about this. That's, that's recentering it on the European white experience. That's not what this is about. Right. You can make it up, but <laughs> we didn't. Yeah. And like that. We didn't and we don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, I mean, there's, there's this respect that like, or perspective that you can bring in other cultures if you have the right research, dodge a uh, cultural appropriation and mm. have fair and honest conversations with other people around you instead of just white experience interpreting otherness. Yeah. Because that's what I think a lot of the damage Wizard of the Coast has done by perpetuating their own decades old interpretations of other, the, the experience of other. Mm-hmm. And that's why you yeah. still have orcs and um, uh, uh, the Vistani words. Yeah. All, all those um yeah there's a lot a lot of mishandling of you know what could have potentially been rich storytelling that was just yeah. the ball was just dropped mm-hmm. like yeah. this this is an opportunity and i think that's the biggest thing is that it here's the opportunity and you went for <sighs> like you didn't go for richness you just went for it's just for flavor Their way. yeah, it, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> it, it literally it's it, and it's so annoying when because people in fantasy when they want to have kind of like cultural flavor, um, a lot of the times they'll just kind of imprint more of the negative stereotypes of other race racial groups onto the instead of like actually researching those cultures and like imprinting some of the positive stuff uh they just like take all of these like racially motivated stereotypes about africa and and tribal life and imprint that on a race in the fantasy culture and they just take all of these racial stereotypes about the east and put it on oh my like, god it's just hit me what one you want here yeah 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 fam yeah for people that didn't realize my sudden realization lizard people zealots obsessed with greed and gold yeah yeah Literally yeah. only just clicked in my head because yeah. I just don't. I don't think of shit that way. Like yeah. I'm not gonna. I, <sighs> well, and it's not something that you experience. So, so it's not something or, that you have have to have to. And I love that. And here's the thing: is like I love you, Auntie. Like I love, I love, I love lizard people, snake folk. Like I'm about that shit. Um, but yeah, like it can be super negative. Like you want to your like somewhere between you want to your somewhere between anti-Semitic and like um, Madam Madam Butterfly, like 
weird. Like there, it's like you want to hear you want to hear at at once like anti Asian and anti Semitic. Like right. there. Well, I mean, it's not that hard to take like the I don't know how to say that the, the snake people. You want and just be like they can that they can you can take the little tiny details of like they like gold and they like this and for a fucking different reason not because it's asian thing but for like your own world you can you can literally do you can literally like the, it it's just it's plentiful it, it's a plentiful yeah. resource in the land that they're native to so that it it was a common use in not only their jewelry but their home decor and, no don't you know yeah. that wizards of the coast wrote it that way so that's how it has to be <laughs> not allowed to be creative you have so. to follow the rules <laughs> rules as written baby Oh my god. One of my favorite uh stories that I have that I was a player in, which honestly ties up in like three or four different things that we've been talking about tonight. With one of my good friends, Lewis, we played in what we called the space game. We were we were playing uh, a crew of a spaceship and we had corporate espionage and geopolitics and fun stuff. The reveal he did at the end of Act One was not only one, um, that the whole time we couldn't play anything but humans because the idea was that we were on earth or earth that was, and there were these portals uh, that spaceships could come through like um, hyperspace portals and any alien thing that came through, we shot down and like, like it, it, and yeah, it was this weird, like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing about this? We were the fucking bad guys. The entire earth lied and like there was this global conspiracy that no one, including the players, because we were uh, trying to play like average people, right? Were told those are the boogeymen. And then when at the end of Act One, when we went through the portal and got to a space station where there were like a shit ton of alien spacecrafts, and we finally land, and we're like, oh, alien!" And they're all like, "Uh, oh, human boogeymen." And we're like, "What?" And they're like, "You're the evil fuckers who kill every single one of our ships when we send them that way." you're the bad guys. Yeah. It was one of the coolest things I'd ever experienced as a player was that the antagonist was actually us the whole time. And then the whole second act was us having to honestly deal with racism because they were afraid of us and they hated us. And so we had to convince them to deal and like with us, uh, deal with us and like us and stuff. It's awesome. It was so much fun in a different perspective. That's very neat. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. He is a, uh, he's Jewish. Jewish. Adorable. Oh, a, a, the entire he is, family is Also, his fun past, like all of our experiences make who we are as GMs. He's one of my favorite GMs because he is a, he is very Jewish. Um, <clears throat> he is also a psychiatrist for the oh. <laughs> like that's oh, a I bet. that's a lot and so like when we were when we were gonna play that game my of course my first thing was like i want to play the gun toting marine and he's like nope i'm not gonna do that because that's my job is yeah so no you're not allowed you have to do something with more depth and less stereotypes yes and so like hard line like all this cool stuff i would be fascinated to play with him Oh, he's fine. He's hilarious. He falls asleep a lot. He works so many weird hours and 
I shouldn't so he, laugh. It's he, just... He's the he's the player who just falls asleep because we're playing till midnight, and he's like, I get up at four. So he sits there and tries to paint minis to stay awake, and and it just every now and then he'll his head will be on the desk, and we're like, oh, Lewis is out. It's okay. Oh, but yeah, like sweet as, baby. As a world builder, he he does very interesting things. Yeah, from his experiences, but also like he makes hard lines. He yeah creates really cool stories speaking of bedtimes and hard lines it is coming up on that time it is very late slash early for lane thank you lane thank you thank you thank you thank you for staying up and being a part of this conversation and thank you dear listener for tuning in and should you want to join the conversation you can do so in our discord or on Twitter. Um, let us know it, because honestly, there's a whole lot of shit to cover when it comes to GMing. If you want a whole series on this, I'd be happy to do a Lex talk about it through with yeah. different guests, with more with these guys, more with other GM folks. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you want to hear. Everybody. Thank you for joining me. Nate, tell me where I can find you. Where where are things that you do more things on? Uh, I You can find me on Twitter at underscore squid toaster. I am the DM of the Legends of Lanamore podcast at Lanamore Pod. Uh, and I do stuff here on Novi Studios. So uh, at Novi underscore studio on Twitter or here on the website. You can also check out novistudio.io. There's a lot of um, very interesting stuff up there as well. And that's going to be where you can find the soon to come Lex Talk About It page for more info there and some sweet merch. Merch! Go buy merch, guys. Yes. I, I, it feels <laughs> gross talking about merch and stuff, but I'm very excited about the Lex Talk About It branded fanny pack. I'm just saying. Yes, the fanny pack is everything. I am so stoked for it. Oh my God, I didn't know about this. Yes. Yeah, it hasn't uh, it hasn't launched yet to you listeners on Twitch right now, but if you're listening to this in podcast form, it is up. And you can get to the shop on domestudio.io. Yes, guys, go get like I am. I like not to like be that like buy my thing. Like there's gonna be other things on the. The only thing that I care that you get is this fanny pack. It is it is incredible. It is '90s as a hell. It is aesthetic as fuck. You have to have one. Uh, that is him. Oh, that's painfully him. <laughs> Uh, speaking of him Galen, Joe, where can we find you? Should we want more things from you? Uh, you <laughs> His find face me, You He's... find me through her <laughs> I'm not His... really on anything He, he lives at the dojo <laughs> Uh, if he's not home, he's at the dojo. Carrier pigeon is my thing Not, like... the, wi- not the white man living in the dojo Not that trope You're gonna cheat her an Asian kid how to do karate <laughs> Oh shit. Joe's face right now. The utter disappointment in Joe's face. Okay, look, like I know, I know this situation is cliche. I married Sensei. Like she was off her teacher. Gross. Gross. You know what? You don't get plugged. Go to bed, sir. 
Uh, 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 so you can find me uh, at uh, Little Star Girl on Instagram. That'll be the easiest thing and less crazy. Um, <laughs> lots of photos of our cats and some. What is my Instagram? <laughs> Kindle. No, it's you keep saying it wrong. Brindle? Yeah. Whatever. Fine. It's very important when you. But you never post anything. <laughs> I don't do anything. Like the last thing you have posted was when we went to the. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> this is incredible. Really. Learning life. I'll give you my uh, my Instagram, but. Um. So yeah, you can find me at Little Star Girl. I can get in touch with him. <laughs> Be aware, you will see lots of pictures of our cats, um, tea, and every now and then art that I'm working on. Um. Other than that, the biggest thing that I'm a part of other than Novi is um a nonprofit I helped found called Solid Stance for Unity and Community. Long name. You can find us at solidstance.org, um, where a bunch of members of the community (laughs) that want to bring martial arts to um children and uh disenfranchised not disenfranchised i mean yeah but uh, i mean yeah I'm, marginalized I'm marginalized people thank you gosh and uh so the two biggest projects we're working on right now are scholarships for people to come train and learn about the um positive advantages of martial arts in your life and an after school care program for a school that um such a guess uh it is an amazing school but it works primarily with um, underprivileged youth, itty bitties. So, get me the links for that because I want those up on our Discord channel. Uh, Lex Fund Change. Uh, we have, you know, the the Lex talk about it portion of the Novi Discord community has a channel dedicated to community funds, um, whether that be mutual aid funds, uh, you know, community aid projects, uh, transitional funds for. Uh, trans uh, people like we're we're we're, we got it all so just if you are dear listener looking for somewhere to do some good start there in our in our discord community and fund change in your either local world or in somebody's personal world uh lane tell me where we can find more things from you and more things about you this is going to be interesting because i'm working on a lot right now Uh, (laughs) my personal stuff is at at line the order on twitter where i just post shit i'm not even gonna lie it's just shit um (laughs) more professionally you can find me at star harpy studio on twitter and for novi oh okay uh, I play Hannah Mothwatcher in City and Snow. I'm also working on Mountainsides, the podcast, which you will also find Lex in later on. Mm-hmm. And maybe look for me in Legends of Lanmora coming soon. Ooh. Who knows who's to say? <laughs> y'all, we've got the tea on Lex Talk About It. <laughs> well, y'all all know that I am so happy to have had all of you here. This was such a fun conversation. It went so many places and there's so much more we could talk about if you would if you would be back i would be happy to have any and all of you yep Uh, always for you dear listener you know that you can find me here you can find me 
on Novi Studios Twitch every Friday. Um, you can find me on the future podcast Mountainsides, uh, as well as some other top secret things happening uh, slowly and surely. Uh, dear listener, as always, thank you. And remember that you owe nobody anything except the kindness that you owe yourself. And me a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs>